everyone, and welcome to The Filmcast, a podcast about movies. I'm David Chen, and I also dream about Tony Leung being my dad. Joining me today is Devendra Hardwar. I'll always be defeated by Tony Leung's eyes. And Jeff Kanata. <laughs> the legend of the Ten Rings was usually the story of Dave trying to get a hold of me. <laughs> wow, okay. Uh, wow. Pretty random. Pretty random. But, is, that, uh, is that multiple calls or is that one call ringing in a long time? One, <laughs> one call. <laughs> Welcome to the show, everyone. Those are, of course, references to the fact that today on the podcast, we'll be doing our main review of Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Before that, we got a lot of uh, what we've been watching and a little bit of film news discussion. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slash filmcast at gmail.com. If you want to share stuff you want us to watch and talk about, use hashtag slash tag on Twitter. <gasps> right at the top there. I love it. I know. I'm going, going bl- guns blazing today, man. Guns That's blazing. all we needed was a week off and Dave gets his shit together. Speaking of which, yeah, we were, <laughs> we were off last week. And I'm curious, uh, you know, what was the time like for you guys to rest and relax and recharge? Was it uh, beneficial? Uh, anyone? What, what, what do you guys think? What was it like? Oh. So much resting, <laughs> so much recharging. <laughs> it's, it's nice to have one night back and uh, the time we'd be watching a movie, I guess. But no, I, I just ended up watching other things. So, <laughs> yeah, not much rest, I guess. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, um, I missed you guys. I'll be honest. I missed you guys. Yeah, yeah it, what, It's good to have a way to unload on all, all the stuff we need to talk about. <laughs> and people on whom to unload. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, there is a, there is a Dave and Devendra uh, shaped hole in your heart. It sounds like Jeff Kanata. Yes, right? yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, glad to be back today, and uh, hope everyone had a safe and restful and relaxing and purposeful Labor Day. Uh, but yeah, let's dive into a couple of film news items. One thing that was very very sad that happened just hours before we started recording this evening: Michael K. Williams. Uh, passed away. It was uh, announced that he passed away Shocking. at the age of fifty-four this yeah. uh, this week. Yeah. And, uh, just an enormous so talent. talent. Yes. Yeah. I mm-hmm. mean, the the character that I think most people believe defines Michael K. Williams is uh, Omar Little in The Wire. Uh, mm-hmm. Just an incredibly charismatic, uh, groundbreaking character that it w- was many people's favorite characters for uh, a character on that show, including former President Barack Obama. Uh, I loved that character and also was just really amazed to see Michael K. Williams go on to uh, do such an amazing job in so many other things. Like most recently, Lovecraft Country was something that I thought he yeah. he performed mm-hmm. wonderfully. In. Always strong yes. in everything he does. And he brought such heart to everything. He's such a, yeah. such a raw actor. Indeed. Was able to sort of strip away any artifice and and let you see seemingly into the the soul of a character. I mean, he just seemed to strip mm-hmm. everything away and 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 allow access in a way that that few actors can uh, into yeah. you know the emotional life of a character. It's, it's he a acted sad loss. Through his eyes very well. I yeah. feel like that that always told the whole story. And I, I mentioned Tony Leung before. He's one of my favorite eye actors as well. But yeah, it it is a rare talent. I remember the first time I saw him in something. It was an episode of Alias, like way, way back in the day, even before The Wire. So whenever I saw him, like I saw him on screen, I'm like, who is this guy? Because he looks like he has a story. He looks like he's lived a life. And man, I am so I was so glad to see him like go on and be super successful. But this is hitting me very similar to like Gandolfini 
and Philip Seymour Hoffman where I'm like, this is too young. They yeah. were so talented yeah. and they had so much ahead of them. Yeah. Indeed, yeah. Uh, he was also, uh, one of his first big breaks was he actually was an actor in The Sopranos. Uh, he played, I think, the a father of somebody who took mm-hmm. in, I want to say it was Jackie April Jr., uh, after Jackie Prio Jr. did something really terrible, if, if I recall correctly, I don't remember if that was it. Was it was one of those characters that was taken in, and uh, he, you know, I was reading Michael K. Williams talking about his career, uh, interviews with him uh, today, and he was talking about how like that had been such a formative experience for him, and uh, it's just really, really sad because uh, definitely this so guy, this is a guy who's like working a lot over the course of the last few years. And uh, and certainly, uh, I imagine still had much more to give to the world in terms mm-hmm. of his talents. But um, yeah, he made so that, everything better. You know, yeah. if you're yeah, going to be a character really actor, be one of those—the one everybody loves to see—and you're like, hey, I know, I know, I'm at least going to enjoy one part of this. Um, this news, by the way, reminded me that the very last episode of Anthony Bourdain's No Reservations show. Uh, he was in it, um, and they went to Gloria's restaurant, which was literally, uh, it's a Caribbean restaurant in Crown Heights, Brooklyn. It was literally one block from my old apartment. So to think like these heroes I loved were there just sitting while I was living, living in that apartment, um, it is just kind of wild to me that apart, that restaurant no longer exists. You know, Bourdain is no longer with us and now Michael K. Williams is no longer with us. So there's just a lot you'll get out of that interview. Uh, go check it out. Yeah. Cursed episode. <laughs> My goodness. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, anyway, just wanted to acknowledge that Michael K. Williams uh, has passed away and and I was an enormous fan and I think it's, it's just so shocking. You know, none of us saw this coming, um, but uh, mm-hmm. by all accounts was an incredibly lovely human being as well is uh, yeah. what that, that it, interview just shows him like walking around Brooklyn and seeing everybody around his block and people just run up and say hello. And he remembers everybody from his childhood. It was just like. Yeah, that is the thing you want to see if you want to see like who this guy is in real life. Yeah. Indeed. So anyway, uh, very difficult to transition out of a topic like this, but, you know, uh, we're going to press on and move on with the podcast regardless. One of the things that I wanted to just discuss with you guys is there's been a lot of debate about the future of the theatrical movie going industry on this podcast and like how healthy it is and uh, whether or not we're bouncing back. And, you know, for a while, it actually did kind of feel like we were starting to bounce back a little bit. We we're starting to see major releases at the box office, like The Suicide Squad, even though that did really poorly. And Shang-Chi uh, performed quite well at the box office this weekend. Hell yeah. Uh, set a Labor Day record, and it was, uh, yeah, like a, a fairly high-performing origin story uh, MCU entry. And so that was lovely to see at the same time as all that stuff is happening, we saw Paramount basically push their entire blockbuster slate into 2022. Yeah. Uh, and movies was, that have moved, moved again. Yeah. 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 So specifically, let's just be clear about what we're talking about. Top Gun Maverick was originally supposed to come out on in Thanksgiving of this year. Uh, and has now moved to May 27th, 2022, which... Well, you, say, you say originally, not originally. <laughs> At one point, it was supposed to come out uh, this year, but uh, yeah, originally... Yeah, yeah, originally, it was supposed to come out in, in uh, summer of 2020, so last yeah. year, right? Well, uh, supposedly, I mean, uh, according to the internet, I tweeted this at you guys, 
the uh, uh, the Top Gun Maverick release dates <laughs> supposedly are July twelfth, twenty nineteen. Mm-hmm. Then it was moved to June twenty sixth, twenty twenty. Then June twenty fourth, twenty twenty. Actually moved up two days. Then December twenty third, twenty twenty. Then July second, twenty twenty one. Then November nineteenth, twenty twenty one. And now May twenty seventh, twenty twenty two. Yeah, so, we'll get so, there. It, it is the Avatar of moving its release date, basically, <laughs> uh, or Avatar sequel, I should say. Right? I mean, if if Top Gun two can't make it, what what is going to happen to the Avatar sequels in the timing around those things? I really feel for you, Jeff. I hope they make it. <laughs> Jackass Forever, a movie that I was really looking forward to, was originally supposed to re- be released on, on October uh, October twenty second, twenty twenty one. Has been pushed to February fourth, twenty twenty two. This to me is the is the biggest surprise because yes. the the uh, promotional um, push for this movie was in full swing. In fact, right. relatively recent. I, yeah. When I went to the movies to see Shang Chi, I saw a, a Jackass Forever trailer play yep. in front of yep. the movie with the October twenty second date on it. Yeah. And the two dudes sitting uh, in the aisle with me. Uh, that guy was like, oh my God, I got to request that day off of work. And I was like, oh, dude, am I the guy that tells him? Mm. Am I the guy that tells him? Did and you like, say anything to him? No, he was, he, he, I, I had already developed an opinion of him by the, that point. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to enjoy the, uh, <laughs> enjoy the uh, schadenfreude of this October moment. 22nd rolls around. That guy is like, oh man, I can't wait. Heads to the theater, you know? Yeah. Used he, up my last two days of vacation this year. Uh, he's he's so burned <laughs> out from his job, but the whole thing is going to be worth it. Yeah, because he's like, okay, well, I have a temporary respite from this thing, for, from the punishing daily existential angst that I experience going to my job because I yeah. can look forward to the October twenty second, twenty twenty one release date of Jackass Forever that right? I saw advertised on the screen. Right. I mean, it, it can't be wrong. Right. Because I saw it on the big screen. In the right? movie theater itself. I, in the movie theater I, itself. Why, yeah. why would they spend money putting that trailer into a movie theater <laughs> yeah. unless it was the act, gonna, exact final date? I'm going to plan it, my year around this. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Shows and up at the theater and I, I got to imagine just complete confusion yeah. when he arrives. Right? And like, somewhere behind the pillar in front of the theater is is me going, yeah, you shouldn't have been on your fucking phone, man. Maybe I would have helped out. <laughs> But the one that really hurts, guys, Mission Impossible 7. Man. Uh, this one was originally supposed... I mean, again, you're, you, Jeff, you correctly call out my use of originally, but the most recent release date was May of 2022, has now been pushed to September 30th of 2022. Yeah. so It's funny, though, that it's being replaced on that date by... Top Gun Maverick. So Tom Cruise is usurping himself in this situation. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, and, you know, there's many reasons why they would want to delay. There's many reasons why they want to keep this theatrically, right? Uh, we talked in the past about back-end payments, and uh, Tom Cruise yeah. is probably going to get a lot of back-end payment out of however well Mission Impossible 7 and Top Gun Maverick do. And so he it's, he's invested in making sure those movies are released in theaters. But I think uh, the the... The scuttlebutt is that the the reason for uh, these pushbacks are uh, COVID concerns around the Delta variant. Mm-hmm. And I mean, what else could it possibly be? Of course, it's that. Yes, it's mainly. And, I, I almost wonder. Like we, I don't know if we've ever seen this before, but think things are pretty bad, and we did, we think they'll probably get worse. But 
things are good enough now for Shang-Chi to do really well. Right, like Shang-Chi basically has the feel yeah. to itself for the yes. next month, pretty much. So I wonder if somebody's like, hey, uh, these, these movies are done. We've been running trailers for years. <laughs> Here's Top Gun 2 now. <laughs> Surprise album Surprise. drop of Top Gun Maverick. Exactly. Yeah. I feel like um, people would explode. Like that would be, you could do that once. It would work. <laughs> So, yeah, what, what else is coming out the rest of the year? Uh, Eternals is November 5th. Uh, Venom, Let There Be Carnage is October 18th. And Ghostbusters Afterlife uh, is now taking the place of Top Gun Maverick. It's moving into the November 19th slot. Uh, we got November, I'm sorry, <laughs> Spider-Man No Way Home set for December, yeah. as well as No Time to Die currently set for October 8th. So those are oh, man. basically the remaining blockbusters for the rest of the year. That's kind of uh, the one I don't want to move at this point. Like, just, just, I just need to see no time to die. You, you please. need to see no time to die. Yeah. It's very understandable, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's questionable. I mean, I will. So we're going to talk about this probably in the after dark today. Um, but like, our our willingness to go to the theater as a podcast right now is fairly low. I'm just going to put that out there. And so, I don't know how many of these movies are a going to stick to their release dates, and b even if they do stick to their release dates, we will actually end up reviewing in that time frame. Uh, probably the one Devendra that I'd be willing to go to the theater for is No Time yeah. to Die. That's that's the and one. And also, there just uh, we're, we're going to throw a little privilege out here, but th- there may be screenings for that, so that that may be a safer way to get into it. But some movies for some of these other movies, like yeah, I'm in Atlanta, and I definitely know like most of them won't do press things except for Bond. So I right. hope they kind of stick with it. And but yeah, yeah I mean, I, I hope it's I, I don't yeah. I don't see us hauling ass to the theater in a Delta surge to go see Ghostbuster Afterlife, personally. Yeah, really, just... uh, timing that went after Halloween. That's uh, <laughs> great. Your uh, one job. Everyone, everyone's got to do what they got to do here, you know? Like, uh, so, yeah, yeah they, 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 they saw an opportunity. Sony saw an opportunity to take Top Gun's spot, and they took it. But, yeah, um, so, yeah, th- those are basically the big, the big blockbusters for the rest of the year. No Time to Die, Ghostbuster Afterlife, Spider-Man No Way Home, uh, and Eternals. Eternals and also Venom Let There Be Carnage. Uh, well, that's some big movies. Big movies. Yeah, big movies. Big yeah. movies and it's going to be, yeah, I mean, also Spider-Man No Way Home. I have not seen the trailer that everyone is uh, screenshotting and discussing. Yeah, and neither have I. Yeah. But I'm probably going to have to see that movie somehow. Um, so yep. I'm, I'm excited yep. for that too. But yeah, I, I think the thing about this is just it's uh, kind it, obviously you know, people should only see movies if they feel safe. It's safe to do so, right? Like, there's no no mm-hmm, movie is mm-hmm. worth risking your safety or your life if you feel that that's the case. You know, so I'm not. I I completely understand whatever behavior people take to like safeguard themselves in this time. I For am sure. sad about these push these like delays, not because I'm like, oh man, like why can't I see this movie early sooner? But because I feel like it's a sign of how we are doing as a country in fighting this thing, right? Like it's, it's pretty bad. Yeah. It's so good, goes Bob. Top Gun Maverick. So <laughs> goes the country is kind of how I'm feeling about yeah. it. Yeah. But, um, uh, yeah. Go, go ahead, Jeff. What what, when, uh, go, go I'm ahead, just Jeff. saying it's not good. Yeah. That's not all. good, Bob. Yeah. I, I will say one tip for everybody. Cause I'm sure everyone is kind of doing the calculus is like, do do I go see any of these things in theaters? The theater chains are desperate and they have started doing their early, like earlier screenings. Right. Like I think for the longest time, nothing was starting until like after four or five. And now a lot of them, especially around me, are doing like, you know, 12 noon and normal 11 a.m. things. So if you could sneak out during a time that is like not prime time, even like I live in an area that is pretty populous. Um, 
I, I've been able to find a couple screens where it's like just me. I saw Candyman all on my own. Mm, um, wow. So like it is possible, but you have to go in like the middle of the day, you know, skip work. Who cares about work? Just go, <laughs> yeah, do what you can. If you really, really need to see a movie, there are safer ways to do it. But otherwise, yeah, it sucks. We're, we're not in a great place. Yeah. Um, and also like renting a private theater for a screening, I think is becoming like increasingly um, uh, attractive. You know, like uh, sure. I, some of these movies can be had for like $150. And if you get like a couple of vaccinated friends or you all go masked or whatever, again, depending whatever your level of comfort mm-hmm, is, mm-hmm. Um, that might be something that I personally uh, try out. So sure. I'm sure the theaters appreciate that rather than renting a whole screen just for me. You know, I, pay, I paid the ticket. <laughs> right, you paid for like uh, a one ticket. Great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, so yeah, it, it was kind of a bummer to see this news, and I'm very curious to see how these movies are going to do for the rest of the year. But as a result of this push, it basically means that those movies I just named, assuming they all come out, uh, are you know all we have. Right? They they basically will ru- like will run the box office. For the well, rest it's of interesting. The year. You know, the I, for me the question is is Paramount alone in this, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Are they the only studio? Uh, were they, or are they premature to make this announcement? Right. Or were they a harbinger of a lot of similar announcements? I think the Shang-Chi box office results probably will mean fewer uh, moves. You know, if, if this movie is doing well, it, I think it's going to hearten a lot of these studios to say, oh, the people are willing to come out and risk their lives to see our entertainment. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. I, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I think that it, if stuff was continuing to bomb at the box office, I think it, more right. of these co- companies would have said, "Hey, let's let's just wait." So I, I think, don't know. I think you're right. It's, it's, there's a question of like, are we at the beginning of the storm or at the end of the storm in terms of the moves, right? And yeah. Uh, uh, also, I, I want to call out a couple of the temples that I, I should have mentioned. Um, but that that are going to be available, and that you sure as hell bet we are going to be reviewing on the filmcast. Dune, which is Dune on October twenty second. Oh hell And yeah. the Matrix Resurrections on <sighs> December twenty second. I can't oh, believe yeah, that's title this now. year. Yeah, I yeah. can't believe that's happening this year. Yeah. So, like, I, like that movie seems, it seems crazy that movie is happening. Dune or the Matrix. The Matrix, yeah, yeah. Matrix, Dune, yeah. Dune, we've you know, I, I feel like Dune's been in the in my mind for a long time. But like the fact that we're getting an actual Matrix sequel, well, also like this year, it, it doesn't yeah, feel real yeah. because like I don't think we've seen a single trailer for that yet, right? Exactly. Like, there's I, no trailer I, for nothing, the Matrix Resurrection. Nothing. I don't want to know CinemaCon, anything. CinemaCon, something. Yeah, they showed screen. some footage. Yeah, 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 yeah. So but something like, will show up eventually. But yeah, I, I mean, it, it, it's rare <laughs> that like Dune, we saw trailers like. Last year, 2020, I think, right? right so yeah. right. we've been anticipating that for a long time. But Matrix Resurrection is arguably a movie I am more excited about than Doom. Mm-hmm. Uh, we haven't seen a single trailer. I have not seen a single shot that's not like a uh, behind, behind the, the scenes, scenes shot yeah. from a bystander yeah. on Twitter, basically, right? Yeah. Like, so I, yeah, I'm just it, really curious what they're going to do, like plot wise, yeah, in plot that wise, movie. Like, mm, okay. It's going to be really interesting. going to be really interesting. Yep. So th- all I'm going to say is thank God for Warner Brothers releasing all their studio, like Dude. their theatrical releases on HBO Max this year. Otherwise, uh-huh. we'd have nothing to talk about on the film. Agreed. So, and I, I'm, so, I'm so excited to watch those at home. I, I, yeah. I, I kind of wish. Well, you now have a theater at home, Jeff. Yeah, so, yeah, I do. Yeah. I do. Yeah. You're set. Excited. You're fine. I'm set. I wish, I wish uh, Disney would, would get back on their, you know, I'll pay, mm-hmm. more, I'll pay 20 bucks to see uh, Eternals at home. You know, let yeah. me do it. 
They'll do probably it. do the. They're doing forty-five days for for uh, Shang Chi. So maybe, yeah. maybe we'll see what happens with the journals. It is time for me to tell you about our sponsor, Ferity Brand. You've probably heard me mention Ferity Brand before on the show, making the perfect clothes for summer. But I have just moved to Denver, Colorado, a completely new biome for me. Truly. I mean, I'm a California boy. I got clothes for summer. I'm excited about beefing up my wardrobe for fall and winter because guess what? I'm actually going to have seasons at my new house, unlike Los Angeles, where all I had was clothes for summer. So I've been on FaradayBrand.com looking at their incredible selection of warmer clothes. And you know what? I think I'm going to be a blazer guy. I was just browsing the Faraday Brand website and their awesome outerwear. They got these really rad, like everyday blazers. I'm going to be that guy. I don't, it's not going to be a billion degrees at my house in late October and November. I'm going to be able to wear outerwear. That's why I'm excited about my blazer that I just ordered from Faraday Brand. They have all kinds of great clothes, though. They do have clothes for summer. If you need some clothes for summer, for the, the weekend barbecues, whatever you're doing these days. Faraday is a family-run brand making high-quality, timeless clothing with modern design and functionality. You know when you're searching for that ideal summer outfit or fall outfit or winter outfit? That set, that shirt, that dress that feels like you've had them for years. Maybe it's in a gorgeous print and it fits so perfectly that it feels almost too good to be vintage, but it still looks like it might be. Well, that's Faraday. I'm telling you, you got to check out these clothes. It, it, it's going to upgrade my wardrobe in my new location. I'm so excited for that. And they are so confident in the quality of their stuff that they have a lifetime guarantee of quality. They'll replace or fix your clothes forever, no matter what. That's pretty amazing. And to top it all off, Faraday is giving all the Filmcast listeners 20% off. Wow, 20% off. So stock up on all your clothes for summer or fall or winter now. Head to FaradayBrand.com and use code FILMCAST at checkout to snag 20% off all your summer gear. That's code FILMCAST, F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T, at Faraday, F-A-H-E-R-T-Y, brand, B-R-A-N-D.com for 20% off. All right, there's one other thing I want to bring up actually about that, which is, uh, you know, I, I think in the past we have occasionally been, uh, we can be snobs on the podcast, you know, uh, on occasion, on occasion. How dare I think, you? Yeah. I think, how, uh, how dare you? <laughs> I think we've in the past have expressed like strong opinions about what we feel are optimal conditions under which to see a movie. Sure, sure, sure. And yeah. I just want to say all that stuff is out the window now. <laughs> I, the please. optimal condition under which to watch a movie is surviving yeah, the movie. Surviving, in which you yeah. feel like whatever <laughs> you feel safe, however you define that. Yeah, I think is uh, is how you should see the movie. And I think like mm -hmm. you know in in the past, like we may have said like, oh, you need a big screen, you need a good sound system, you need to go see it in theaters. And there has been some debate. Uh, I think some critics, having seen Dune at a recent film festival, have been like. Oh, you gotta see it in theaters. Otherwise, you might as well just be watching it like dog shit or whatever. And it's like, right. well, you know, I just think that like what I see in my social media interactions with folks online is that like people have very divergent feelings on what is gonna be safe for them. Mm -hmm, and I mm -hmm. think we should just respect that because we've all been through a really 
challenging time and are still going through a challenging time with this yep. pandemic right now. So just, just so, do what, what I do when I'm traveling, like when I used to travel and I want to watch stuff like in the hotel room, the best thing to do, put on, bring a good pair of headphones, at least like a decent pair, right? Not, not the cheapest ones you've got, but bring that laptop just all the way up on your chest. Just like <laughs> stuff it in front of your face. And that is the equivalent of like sitting in front of a 65 inch TV guys. <laughs> like, you, you could do it. I mean, and, it will. Yeah give you irrevocable neck damage but doesn't yes matter. Doesn't i'm gonna get, say get some pillows up in there yeah I, I i'm gonna advocate for this too and i know this is again not everyone can afford what i'm about to suggest mm-hmm. so like uh <laughs> but but i i do think that um the new airpods pro that apple yes. has yes with an apple device can produce something called spatial audio uh, have you tried spatial audio D- davindra i know has it's, but Jeff, it's have you fine tried spatial audio? It's fine. i have yeah. not yeah. no it is really cool it basically makes it feel like you have a really good sound system like it Mm -hmm. sounds like the audio is coming at you directionally from the front of you Mm. regardless of how you turn your head Mm -hmm. and it's kind of cool and if you want like a a home theater-esque experience for like under let's say you know two hundred dollars to buy the airpods pro and like three hundred dollars to buy an ipad you know like that's possible you get a good yeah. screen with that. Like, really, it's just about the screen. If you bring that, if you get a good quality screen, you bring it right, right up to your face. Um, that's not bad. That's pretty good compared to like a lot of TVs. I, I've read profiles about like A.O. Scott. His preferred way of watching movies is on a laptop with headphones. And I, I just felt shocked by hearing that. So, yeah. you know. So, so I guess the point I'm making is just we, we, we have strong opinions. We'll continue to have strong opinions about like what's the quote unquote best way to see a movie. But the overarching opinion we have is you should be as safe as you feel comfortable. Yes. And like no movie is worth feeling like anxious about contracting any disease or or putting yourself in danger in any way. So yeah. that's kind of uh, th- that's kind of my thinking about it. And I think you guys agree with that, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, okay. Let's get into what we've been watching this week, gents. Uh, and I do want to say before we get into what we've been watching that this week on the After Dark over at patreon.com slash film podcast, we're going to be doing a, a spoiler discussion of The White Lotus on HBO. So uh, if you're interested in that and or you want to just support the, the podcast generally, go to patreon.com slash film podcast. And uh, a big thank you to all the folks there who make our work possible and make thank the film cast uh, a continuing going concern. So let's get into what we've been watching this week. Why don't I start the conversation off with Reminiscence? This is the new Lisa Joy written and directed movie that premiered on HBO Max. Apparently, it was also released in IMAX in, in theaters as well. Uh, didn't do very well at the box office. Wasn't reviewed particularly well. Uh, and I saw, by the way, I saw Devendra's gif review of this animated gif review mm. of this mm-hmm. yeah, uh, yeah and literally the night i was planning to hunker down and watch it oh man i saved you jeff i you saved did. you you oh, did God. I, I saw it, it literally just an animated gif yeah from davindra and i went well, I'm gonna was, do it, something was it happy gilmore or yeah. one of the yep. one of the adam was, sandlers just like thumbs yeah, down just going, <laughs> yeah nope. so anyway not to steal your thunder dave but i uh you're talking about not reviewing well i uh i almost watched it I mean, I had a really interesting experience uh, watching this movie because let me, I'll just start by saying I didn't hate it. And also as I was watching it, I was like, oh man, like I I can understand why everyone hates this movie. Like as I'm watching it, I'm like, I get why this movie is so broadly disliked. Because Uh, it's terrible. The the exposition (laughs) is incredibly clunky. 
and it's clunkily delivered. Uh, like you have, like I would say, eighty percent of the lines in this movie are just straight up exposition, just straight up people explaining yeah. backstory or saying what's happening in the plot. But, right? but the lines are also most of the time it's Hugh Jackman's narration, literally telling you everything happening to you, like the the worst, the worst voiceover narration. Yeah. Um, amazing, amazing. I, I mean, here you know, there's all these websites online that like. Yeah, scrape I mean, the it, closed captions for movies and TV shows, and like just tra- provide. Yeah, a I'm looking for lines from this movie. So here's here. I, let me, I, well, let me read you. Know, you. In, the, <laughs> in the movie's defense, though, guys, it's called reminiscence. You know, yes, I mean, it's true. If you don't expect a guy to be narrating throughout the movie, I you know, it's right there in the title. It's not called like you're uh, right. <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not called, called something not reminiscence. Jeff, is that what you're going? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, okay, so I'm going to attempt to perform the opening lines of this movie uh, about as well as Hugh Jackman, beloved actor, perform them. Okay? Man. Here it is. Here it is, okay? Uh-huh. Now, I didn't go to acting school like you, Jeff, so this is not going to be as good as what you would do. But here we go, okay? <clears throat> the past can haunt a man. That's what they say. And the past is just a series of moments. Each one perfect, complete. A bead on the necklace of time. The past doesn't haunt us. Wouldn't even recognize us. If there are ghosts to be found, it's us who haunt the past. That's a hell of a reminiscence, Dave. Yeah. What do you, what, what do you think? Does that, does that make you feel like, I got to watch that movie? What do you think? A pearl on the necklace of time? <laughs> that is, uh, that be- is right out bead. there from the... Oh, sorry. A bead yeah, on the necklace a of bead. time. Yeah. That's right out there from the line of M. Bison being the guy who walks through the raindrops. Like That is uh, that level of writing for me. Yeah, I mean, for sure. Yeah. I mean, so he delivers this voiceover probably actually let more let in than what I just did. Um, he's trying to be a hard boiled detective, like that's yeah. He's thing. trying to be like it's yeah. like very film noir esque, right? Yeah. And uh, but there's like the, the voiceover is in that style for throughout <sighs> the entire movie. Uh, well, and, I mean, if you, t- I didn't even know it was a film noir. If it, you know, film noir is supposed to be sort of overwritten like that, right? Yeah, you know, she, yeah. she walked in, she had legs that all went all the way to the top. You yeah, know, the top, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. 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 yeah, exactly. So there, that, there are good ways to saying. do it and bad ways. I'm saying this is very mannered. I'm watching it. I'm like, this yeah. is very mannered. And <laughs> I think it's intentional, but I don't think it's going to work for a lot of people. But basically, Jeff, what it what the movie's about is it's about this guy who it's the future. Uh, climate change has destroyed the planet. It's yeah. uh, it's actually was creepy to watch this movie yeah. days yeah. after seeing video coming out of New York City and New Jersey showing like massive flooding all over the streets. Like the the, the setting images... of this movie, yeah, is yeah. the best part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's so the movie takes place in Miami and and uh, Louisiana and uh, it's basically flooded like Venice. Basically, they're, yeah, they're yeah. basically all flooded and like the first, second, third floors of the buildings are completely unusable. Um, and Hugh Jackman runs a reminiscing <laughs> business. So basically, you go into a water <laughs> tank with a head device. He's a private investigator can, of the mind. He can like remember yeah. things for you, right? So it's kind of like Total Recall, except Total Recall they were like inventing memories. Like this is yeah. just you're going back to existing memories, right? It's <laughs> like it's like Minority Report meets the Total Recall stuff, where he's like deconstructing the visuals of what somebody you know what what something's being projected the closest analogy i would say is actually catherine bigelow's strange days definitely which which actually better movies yeah strange days is a better movie and you know what sucks about strange days is that you cannot easily watch that movie right now i i I don't think you can stream that movie i actually bought a uk blu-ray of strange days after watching uh reminiscence seriously you bought the uk blu-ray 
Uh, uh, I don't know if it's a, no, no. I had bought one like I think a decade ago or something. Like I bought something. So yeah, so it's it's not easily obtainable. Do you know basically, the reason but, for that? Is it some weird rights thing? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like like the the I guess the company that owned the streaming and Blu-ray rights to Strange Days must have shut down, or they don't think it's profitable to release it or whatever. But yeah, <sighs> um, so that sucks. Uh, but yeah. Strange Days That's is a, cool a better movie. film, and I would strongly recommend it. And actually, that, that movie yeah. ha- occupies a disproportionately large area of brain space for me. Yeah, really, like, it, because it, it, it's it's incredible. Yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> and that, the, sort of the ideas, the the sci-fi ideas, I've I don't know mm-hmm. why I always return to them. You know, this this notion of being able to sort of record your experience and sell it to someone else. Right. Uh, um, mm-hmm. I've always found that to be really captivating a, a, yeah, a, yeah. A, an amazing notion that i don't know it's it's something that i think about way more frequently than a lot of other movies for yeah some i mean and and so yeah this is an extremely similar premise but uh you know something happens uh hugh jackman falls in love with someone and then the person disappears and he tries to like figure out what's going on with her <laughs> and that kind of takes up the whole rest of the movie um i think the world building in this movie is really pretty good overall uh, and not that much else. And the cast is really good. Lovely to see basically like a little Westworld reunion with all the people in, uh, sure, involved sure. in Westworld like showing up in this. Uh, visuals look pretty great. Like the production design uh, I'm a big fan of and seeing kind of you know what a post-climate change Miami might look like is just fascinating. Uh, so I, I appreciate that this movie exists because there's so few movies exist that are original premise, uh, or n- not original premise because the premise is kind of strange days, but like original property that's not based on existing IP really, or that IP lots of people lots of people know. And and you know Lisa Joy wrote and directed this. She's really going for something here. Um, it's clearly something that did not resonate with most critics or audiences. Devendra Hardwar, what did you think of Reminiscence? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's basically this movie. Like like as I said, I think the world building. Yeah, sure. The the setting. I think the setting and production design of this movie are pretty fantastic. I cannot imagine like how hard it must be. Uh, Lisa Joy being like, okay, I'm going to do my first movie and uh, we're going to have water everywhere. Yes. Everywhere. Everybody, the thing everybody <laughs> hates shooting in and around water. Uh, yeah. I got canals going to have canals everywhere. going to have flooded streets. Um, just sounds like a nightmare. It almost sounds like not quite water world levels, production nightmare, right, but right. very tough. Um, but yeah, yeah there's, there's like tons of water in most scenes, so it's just tons like of water. Adds, just adds a level of difficulty to the shoot that had to yeah. be really difficult. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, and that setting I think is really cool, especially given everything we're seeing right now. I'm looking. I have family in New York who are dealing with their streets being flooded with water. Like just last week, um, the scenes out of New York were just horrifying, and we're going to see that over and over again because we are not prepared for climate change. Um, and the, the idea that this movie just kind of uses that as a baseline setting and doesn't even really like deal with it in a way it says like, um, it, it refers to like past wars. Uh, Hugh Jackman's character was, was conscripted. Um, he, he was brought into to fight in a war. I think it was a border war or something. Um, so clearly like the climate change has like destabilized the world, but everything around this movie is interesting. This actual movie is not. Like Hugh Jackman's character is just just another noir detective and he's not doing really well at it either. Like he's not bringing much new to the table. Rebecca Ferguson's the femme fatale. Tendiwi Newton is the like the friend who will always support him. Uh, I hate the way this movie is written. I didn't 
Like I didn't find anything particularly interesting or revealing. The actual plot of it isn't super intriguing. Um, I think the main thing is I constantly fought uh, falling asleep during this movie, <laughs> which is kind of funny. Yeah, it's understandable. It's understandable. Yeah, he Sounds spent like the most Green of the Knight. movie. Uh, mm. How dare you? Most of the movie, uh, <laughs> Green Knight, you know, a movie that doesn't have unnecessary voiceover and whatnot. But Hugh Jackman in this movie, his entire role is to be the guy that kind of like soothes you into remembering your memories, right? So the so the machine can get it, almost like a hypnosis type thing. Um, to have that same voice constantly cooing at you as the audience, it has the same effect to me because like his <laughs> his like his growl is just like. I'm a calming wave. I am Wolverine <laughs> speaking to you right now. You know, beads, beads through the rain or whatever, or beads through time. Um, <laughs> everything he was saying just constantly put me to sleep. On multiple occasions, I looked to my wife and I was like, can we just, we could just stop. You know, that could be my <laughs> review. Like, I just, I could not go past more than 30 minutes of this movie. Um, yeah, this movie's two hours long. I want to give up at 15 minutes, at 30 minutes, at definitely, you know, an hour and 90 minutes as well. So, it's rough. Um, other than the setting, which I think is cool, you could get a lot of that from the first scene. Um, th- there's just like nothing going for it here, and I can understand like why it's being so reviled. I love film noir. I love the tropes of film noir. Um, I look to movies like even Brick, you know, um, or Strange Days, which is neo noir in its own ways. Um, just do so much more. This movie doesn't do anything new or interesting. I I genuinely hate it, and yeah, I I never plan to see it again. Well, I'm sorry you did not have a good time with this one, Devendra. I think I'm the only person I know that kind of liked it. But yeah, Yeah. I think I don't necessarily even disagree with most of what you said. I think that, you know, I could totally understand why someone would be bored watching this movie because just not that much really happens. Uh, It's really kind of a world building exercise. And there's some beautiful imagery in it, especially towards the end. But like Daniel Wu is in this movie doing like a weird Cajun accent at, at some point to you. Like, I don't know. Uh, I love Daniel Wu from like into the badlands. Uh, he's been in a bunch of stuff. He was in Geostorm, uh, but I like him as an actor. I don't know what the hell he was doing here. They, they tried to do some action at some point. They're like, Oh, maybe people are getting bored. Let's have a shootout guys. That's, that's and, the thing. Uh, yeah. That's the thing that oh, felt really man. weird is there were multiple action scenes. And the whole time I'm watching these action scenes, I'm like, why why did you put these action scenes in this movie? Like, they're not like yeah. great action scenes. You know what I mean? Nope. Like, they're not like, oh my god, you got to go see Reminiscence for this amazing action scene. So, if you're not going to do something that's really notable, then just I'm not watching this movie for that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, uh, it, it did feel like studio notes were like, well, we got we got to get them into this again. Like, put in an action scene here. It, it really <laughs> felt like that was the case. Uh, and so, yeah, it, I, I think Devendra, it had tons of ideas. Right? It had like. There is like climate change. A lot change. of Westworld ideas too. A lot of to Westworld ideas. It's like, okay, yeah. we got climate change. We got like the the class divide, growing inequality, and like the problems that's going to create. And, um, you know, what's it like to have this technology? How would it profoundly shape the planet? You know, so all these interesting ideas just mashed into this movie in a way that wasn't ultimately, unfortunately, very compelling. But uh, I thought it was cool. Divinger hated it. That's our review of Reminiscence on HBO. You, you, you saved yourself, Jeff. Let me just put it that way. Like... <laughs> I, I would I would argue if like man this is kind of interesting for a certain respect or something like I I can yeah. be open to that but who but I mean, I'm into the uh, yeah yeah I'm into the it's interesting if it's you know ninety minutes you know we're, we're, yeah, we're yeah, pushing yeah. two plus hours I don't <laughs> know I'm down for for it's interesting but yeah indeed 
All right. Uh, what else have I been watching? Uh, I want Speaking of another movie that's really weird, <laughs> um, Beckett. Have you guys heard of this movie, Beckett? I have heard it was of on it. Netflix? Yeah. yeah. This, this stars John David Washington as the protagonist again, and he winds up. This is one of the weirdest freaking movies I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. I saw the trailer for this. It looks wild. It's it's basically a chase thriller, right? Like, this guy Beckett, he goes to Greece, and he's in a terrible car accident. And then he finds himself being pursued by strange forces that he can't understand. Like, that's the plot of the movie. But the thing that's weird about it is the entire thing is shot like Call Me By Your Name. And what I mean by that is... Like there is no, it, it, it feels extremely languorous in its pacing and in the film style. Like there's no things that you would usually use in a chase thriller in this movie. So for instance, no I'm going to name something thrills? like using like close-ups, <laughs> using like, you know, uh, camera dollies or zooms or using, um, let's say, I don't know, interesting score or music to like amplify the the emotion you know uh those things kind of do exist but like very very sparsely it's just this weird weirdly (laughs) energyless thing where this guy is like trying to traipse across this country while people are pursuing him and it's weird and uh but so not good you're saying just odd and not good or odd and kind of interesting I mean, you know, it's it's interesting for me in the same way that like Reminiscence is interesting. I would say mm. more, definitely more plot happens in Beckett than in Reminiscence. So like, I mean, it looks it looks cool. It looks cool in a way that seems genuinely inventive. So I I'm still down to check this out. What's what's hilarious too is John David Washington at one point in, injures his arm, uh, like I think one of his arms, and so he's running around this entire time. People are basically <laughs> like making fun of him. Uh, in the reviews I've seen like on Letterboxd, so basically saying like this is like watching like a T Rex run around Greece like being chased by these dudes like for like 90 minutes because he's like he's he's running around his but he's holding his arms like near his chest the whole time it like looks kind of goofy it's a, just a weird weird movie but I didn't hate it because it's it's so weird that I'm like huh that's like a kind of interesting style in which to shoot a movie so mm-hmm. uh yeah I'm kind of uh, curious for you guys to check it out it was in like Netflix's top 10 for a little bit so uh you know you you may yeah. find something to enjoy out of it but uh, it's 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 a weird it's a weird movie. Yeah, <laughs> Didn't that, I know that it's director weird, did like, something it's... interesting as well. It was uh, I forget which what he had directed. Um... Uh, yeah, Fernando Cito mm-hmm. Filomarino is the name of the director. By the way, this movie has a forty six percent on Rotten Tomatoes, so, so it has not been reviewed particularly well. Um, he directed a, a movie called oh, he... Antonia. In 2015. I remember Antonia, and uh, he was second. You now call me by your name, so that is why you right. get that, that so he, vibe. Yeah. yeah, again, yeah. So he's it's like call me by your name. I believe the entire movie was shot on one lens. Mm-hmm. So this movie definitely feels like that. It almost I don't know if in fact was shot on one lens, but it definitely feels like they took one kind of aesthetic and like tried to put it into a thriller. And I don't know that it fully works, but it's it's notable. You know, it's definitely something that I'm going to remember. So, uh, well, I don't know about remember. I'm going to remember that it was weird watching it. I don't know if I'm going to remember the movie that much. So, anyway, those are my thoughts you, on that. What you're yeah. saying is you won't have a reminiscence about mm-hmm. it. Uh, yeah, that was pretty rough, Jeff. But yes, <laughs> that's Beckett, and it's streaming right now on Netflix.
Hey, it's time for me to jump in here and tell you about our sponsor, HelloFresh. Gosh, I love HelloFresh. I have been a HelloFresh subscriber for, what, five years now? It's just made my life better. What is it? What is it I hear you asking? Well, you must not listen to this show very much because I talk about it all the time. HelloFresh is... America's number one meal kit. With HelloFresh, you get fresh, pre-measured ingredients and mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door. What does that mean? That means you don't have to go to the grocery store to get the ingredients for meals. You don't have to worry about coming up with a great menu. You can, if you're like me, feed your family, feel awesome, cook, learn to love cooking Without all of the pain points associated with it. You don't have to get a bunch of extra ingredients that go bad in the fridge because you couldn't buy exactly what you need. No. No. You get pre-measured exactly what you need. And HelloFresh's 50 menu and market items that you can choose from every week. From vegetarian meals and calorie smart choices to extra special gourmet options. That means that you've got something for everybody to enjoy with recipes that are designed and tested by professional chefs and nutritional experts to ensure deliciousness and simplicity. I'm here to tell you, it's like having restaurant-quality meals in my own house that I cooked, and I know what's going in them because I put it there. I love it. It's not a bunch of garbage and crap that I'm feeding my family. I'm cooking the meal. I get the joy of cooking, the satisfaction, plus... HelloFresh is over 30% cheaper than shopping at grocery stores with pre-portioned ingredients that ensure you won't spend money on excess food. That just goes in the trash. It's flexible. You can customize your order on the app in minutes. I do it all the time. I love it. Come on. Try it. Go to HelloFresh.com slash FilmCast14 and use code FilmCast14 for up to 14 free meals, including free shipping. That's HelloFresh.com slash FilmCast14 and use the code FilmCast14 for up to 14 free meals, including free shipping. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. One other thing I wanted to mention, I have a chance to check out Schmigadoon. You guys heard of this show? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing this. Yeah. Speaking of weird things, (laughs) this is also kind of like a comedy musical, right? So the idea is that these two people wander into a land of like musicals, essentially. Um, Rogers Wasn't there and a TV show like ten years ago that did this? Are you thinking of Cop Rock? No, not, that's, <laughs> there was and that's uh, not the, ten years the ago. That's one. like thirty years ago. <laughs> the medieval, uh, yeah, the medieval one, one whose name I can't yeah, remember right now. Yeah, but, there's a medieval one that yeah. was like this. Where... Gallivant. Gallivant. Yes, Gallivant. Mm. It was really good. I mm. love Gallivant. Uh, so yeah, they they end up trapped in the this town that is a manifestation of the golden age of musicals, right? So uh, everyone kind of is dressed in and is lit as, and the you know production design is like a golden age musical, uh, you know Oklahoma and yeah. you know that kind of stuff. Rodgers um, and Hammerstein, right? Type exactly, of stuff. exactly. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and I thought this was a pleasant. Diversion. It's six episodes, relatively short. It's got an awesome, awesome cast, right? It's um, Cecily Strong and yeah. uh, Keegan Michael Key. Yeah, I, I think there is a couple things that take away from it, in my opinion. One is that the musicals, the, the musical numbers themselves, 
are extremely well performed and well like the dancing is great but there is nothing about them that transcends just like these are good versions of what you know golden era musical numbers would be you know what i'm saying like it, th- that in itself is a great accomplishment but you'd expect with a premise like this where modern day people wind up trapped inside this musical like there would be something that would elevate it to the next level like Book of Mormon style or co-op the musical and documentary now. So, you know what I mean? mean? Like, no, I don't. The, the uh, elevating it to the next level, meaning more some sort of sort of meta commentary on it or, right, or, or you just mean skill wise, not, not even skill wise, just like kind of like when you when you watch Book of Mormon, what I what I see is not here are people trying to imitate the golden era of musicals. It, I, my reaction is. Uh, or co-op the musical, a great example, right? These are, I don't think these are people trying to imitate Rodgers and Hammerstein. I think these are people who are extremely familiar with that and are trying to kind of send that up, right? Trying mm. to satirize it or make a parody that's like really funny and over the top. And right. Schmigadoon musical, musical numbers, in my opinion, do not rise to that level. Hmm. Uh, they're more just sort of um, it's just, oh these are really well production. done versions of it yeah. you know they're, they're not but they're not like inherently fun like if you watched it completely in isolation from the premise which is like these two modern day people are trapped in that land I don't think you'd be like oh that's hilarious you'd just be like oh this that could have yeah. come from the 50s you know like, gotcha. <laughs> and that's that's the reaction now again it's very well done but it's like I, I, I kind of hope that with such a weird off kilter premise that they would like kind of mm-hmm. make more out of it at um, least there, Kristen Chenoweth is in this, and I will. She watch is so good in, in this. She's always she's good. so good in yeah. everything. Yeah, everything. I, she's in pushing daisies. Friggin- like there, there were yeah. the rare occasions where she would be doing full on musical bits and singing. So, uh, yeah, I'll watch it just for her. There, there is a musical number with Chris, Kristen Chenoweth that makes the entire experience of watching Schmigadoon worth it. So I'm there. Yeah, I believe. Gonna it. Put yeah. that I mean, she's, she's extraordinary. Yeah, she's really yeah. good. So. Uh, and also, like, uh, what's what's good about this is like Barry Sonnenfeld directs it, which is just kind of interesting. Like, he has yep. a very uh, interesting style where he he has all these hallmarks of his style. Where, like, mm-hmm. it, for for instance, extremely elaborate backgrounds, um, symmetrical framing of the characters, uh, big in color. A shot. Yeah, he did with, pushing like, daisies as well, so it's like similar shot. look. Yeah, right. right. So, so like, if, if you enjoy that kind of style, I think there's a lot to enjoy here, but. Overall, I think that it was just it was missing a few things. I think to to really elevate it, um, and uh, but you know I had some fun with it, and uh, I think if you're a huge fan of those musicals and want to see more of that kind of stuff, uh, I think you could do a lot worse than watching Schmigadoon on Apple TV Plus. I want to so. go back and rewatch Pushing Daisies. I yeah. have it on Blu-ray. It's so I have good. the complete it's series so on Blu-ray, and I should yeah. just. I don't think my wife's ever seen it. So Ooh, I should just go back go. and rewatch that with but her. Talk, yeah. talk about shows that are all about pure joy. Like, yeah, that is. Yeah, it's it wonderful. Gone before it's time. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, no worries. Uh, so those are the things I have been watching this week. Reminiscence, Schmigadoon, and Beckett. Devinder Hardware, you had a chance to check out Candyman, the new movie that's out in theaters right now. Curious what you thought of this movie. Yeah, overall, I'd say um, I liked it while I was watching it. But I think that this is one of those movies where the more I think about it and the more I read about it, too, because there's a lot of great commentary from folks like uh, Walter Cha and uh, Angelica Bastion. Yeah. Rob, Robert Daniels, I, former guest. Yeah. Of the podcast, Robert Daniels so, yeah. did the, quite a good. His review. This is actually a must read. I think that's on Polygon. Um, yeah. This is a good looking movie. Right. It looks and feels pristine. It feels like something coming out of the Jordan Peele 
you know, uh, modern horror house. And I think it, it, in many ways, like it really evolves the Candyman mythology. I do think uh, if you saw the first movie, a movie I love, I think that original film is one of the greatest American horror movies, um, mainly because it is so well made. Um, Tony Todd is incredible in it. That movie has a Philip Glass score. You know, we forget about that, but that movie, just everything about it, it just evokes such a sense of dread and fear and also did a great job of like really centering the horrors of racism in a way too. Like that was a movie that had a social message before a lot of movies uh, were really talking about this stuff. Um, This movie takes that stuff to another level in a certain sense. Like I think it makes, uh, there is no subtlety to this candy man, right? This candy man is set uh, in the the expensive condos that are basically built on top of the neighborhood where the old Cabrini Green projects were in Chicago. Um, so literally on top of, you know, the poverty-stricken area that the original film was based in. Um, and this is a movie where everybody just says outright, like, what the message is. There is no subtlety to it. It is very blunt and didactic. And I think that's the word. Uh, I was listening to Robert Shaw on Pop Culture Happy Hour. I think he did a good job of just, like, putting that all together. Um, but I'll say overall, too, like, other movies don't have to be subtle. You know, the world is, right now, there's just really stupid stuff happening. People are eating horse paste, you know? So if the world is this dumb, I'm I'm all fine with movies being more blunt. Uh, but I also came away not really feeling any sense of like dread or texture in this movie, right? It, it feels kind of glossy to the point where I never felt any any sort of fear while watching it, whereas that original movie evokes so much in me because Tony Todd is so good and that sense of dread it really gets. Um, I think it really just captures that really well. That movie also has some like great horrific imagery, whereas this one, not really. There's some cool kills and there's one like we're going to review this at some point, I hope, like once it hits video on demand, um, I hope we can make time for it. And I I think we should dive into more about what how this movie works, because uh, there's a lot to say. It's not a bad movie, but I am disappointed in it after watching it. So, yeah, can't wait to dive more into it. All right. That's Candyman. It's out in theaters right now. It's doing really well. And it's the latest movie by Nia DaCosta. Devinger, what else have you been watching? I finished up season five of The Good Fight. And guys, I will, I'll will i just be content being the only person here talking about The Good Fight <laughs> while you guys like smile and nod. Uh, but this season has wrapped up. And I do want to shout out once again that for the love of God, if you're out there wondering, like, where are the good legal dramas? You know, where, where's the good like adult stories um, th- that are there just like, um, yeah, movies or shows made for adults, especially around the law. There aren't really that much right now, but uh, for the past decade, Robert and Michelle King have been doing that with The Good Wife and The Good Fight. This most recent season directly like addresses a lot of what's happening, uh, the insanity of the world right now. Um, I'm not going to say too much about like the surprises here, but I will say um, a show I already love brings in Mandy Patinkin. And that's how I know, like, guys, you just you got me. You, you know what I want. And you just can keep <laughs> delivering. And Mandy Patinkin is a, he's a guest star in the season, but he's a major role because he is a guy. Uh, this this show is about characters in a um, majority black law firm in Chicago. Mandy Patinkin comes in as this guy. He runs a copy shop and he is bored one day and he thinks he thinks like the way the law works 
just is really unfair. He thinks like the system is kind of crooked. Um, it doesn't really produce justice in a way. So he starts this like backdoor court in the back of his copy shop. And that is like the main thing driving this season. And it, it is a really interesting exploration of like, okay, like who is the law for? Does he kind of have a point? And it's Mandy Potemkin. So when he is frustrated about the world, you're kind of like, I, I believe you, Mandy Potemkin. You're a nice guy. I, I kind of like am with everything you're saying. And this season carries that idea to, I think it's logical end. And um, yeah, it's not pretty, uh, but I think it's like very realistic. I think this is the one show I've seen this year that directly addresses the Capitol riot in a way that is both um, feels meaningful and accurate, but also like it, it, it just tells us so much about like, okay, about America and what this show is trying to say and it's commenting on America. Anyway, it's very good. Go watch The Good Fight. Um, you do not need to watch The Good Wife before this, even though it's a spinoff series. There are five seasons of The Good Fight right now, at most 13 seasons, uh, 13 episodes in season two. But I, I promise you, if you like good adult television that's really funny uh, and it could be raunchier now because it's on Paramount Plus so they, they can say the F word, that's pretty fun. Um, check <laughs> out The Good Fight. And once you get hooked on this, I've talked to a lot of people and they're like, they, they ask me, what do I do next? You've got like all, hundreds of episodes of the good wife to catch up on, which is, I, it's, it's not, it's not as sharp or as blistering as a show, but it's still incredible television. So watch these shows. People, um, Robert and Michelle King are making some of the best TV in the world right now. All right. That's a good fight. I've heard so many good things, Devendra. I think yeah, I will gonna, one day I'm check this out. I'm going to just keep talking about it here. So it's fine. I will one day check this out. But the good fight streaming right now on Paramount+. Plus. Uh, anything else you're watching, Devendra? Quickly wanted to bring up The Chair, a great show that hit Netflix over the past couple of weeks. It, it is weird how the the dialogue for a show can just pop up, right? Because we have... We just haven't recorded in two weeks. We did the, the episode two weeks ago. We actually did that a little early. So... I haven't talked to you guys in two weeks. And since then, Netflix dropped the chair, which is a show um, starring Sandra Oh as the head of the English department in like a, a Philadelphia uh, you know, elite college. And it it, it kind of dredged up so much. And I like the show quite a bit. I'd be interested to hear what you think about it, Dave, because it is very much... Uh, Dave and I went to what people <laughs> would call an elite liberal institution. And uh, watching the show very much brings me back to those days of like um, very, uh, very politically contentious campuses, you know, where the students are like really trying to like call out racism and call it, you know, call out the injustices of the world. The faculty and the staff are kind of out of touch, especially the older folks. It, it, this is a show that exists in that universe, but also is about Sandra O oh being the first woman of color to become chair at this English department. And maybe she can save the failing English department. And I think it does a great job of um, just exploring like how much of a, you know, I, I don't know how much of like a weight that is on your neck. Right. Um, it is one. And I'm thinking about that too, with Shang-Chi it, it being the first of something is so difficult. And if you fail because kind of the deck is entirely stacked against you, um, you, you, apparently like people like you shouldn't be in charge, right? Is that the assumption here? I think the show does a good job of kind of exploring those ideas. And Sandra, it was very good. The show is co-created by Amanda Pete too, who I think believe writes most episodes. Um, it's just really interesting. A really interesting. Love Amanda Pete. Love Amanda Pete. I would love to see her more on TV too. Um, 
but it makes great use of Sandra O. Oh. Uh, I think the major failing of the show is that even though it's supposed to be about Sandra O oh taking um, control of this English department, so much of it is also spent on Jay Duplass, who is a bumbling uh, middle-aged, uh, you know, professor who is very popular, um, but he is, he is grieving. His wife has recently died and he's just going through a lot, but so much of the energy of the show and Sandra O's character is spent babysitting this guy who I think represents, uh, you know, the, the typical like bad boy of academia, the people who can be very smart, but genuinely fuck up a lot too and still succeed. Whereas Sandra O's character, she makes one mistake. Her, career is done um the show kind of makes that point but i don't think it fully like dealt you know interrogates that but i still enjoyed it overall i think it's worth watching i think dave you will come away with a lot of feelings going back into this universe um i didn't just go to college you know at a liberal institution i work there so i was your wife if i'm not mistaken as did my wife so she she used to work for the president's office she worked directly with like colleges trying to open things up to be a little less racist and a little more inclusive. (laughs) And the pushback that these institutions give you is incredible to see. And yeah, also working with professors as like colleagues and not people that, you know, who are only there to teach you. And as like authority figures um, also opens up a lot too, because you start to see their, uh, their weaknesses and their fallibility. But anyway, I think the show is worth watching. It's only six episodes. It's a lot of fun. I just hope they kind of sharpen things up if it comes back for another season. Six half hour episodes, that is, yeah. Six Jeff, half hour episodes. Versions. Easy watch. Jeff, did you see uh, any of the chair? I did. Um, and uh, Devendra eventually got to why I dislike the show. Uh, and mm. it, it begins and ends with the Jay Duplass character, mm-hmm. yeah. which I find a, a complete waste of time. Um, it, I, I, you have so much fun with Sandra Oh. I actually had a great time with the old uh characters there's a bunch of the oldies. really old yeah. yeah i mean um holland taylor bob balaban bob yeah. balaban dude i could watch bob balaban <laughs> just sit there and be nonplussed for hours you know that's like just mm-hmm. him just you know exuding ennui you know uh and what I, do you what do you think nonplussed means jeff you know, uh, uh, grunting. He, he, there's a lot of grunting. There's a lot of like, people he's, asking him to do things, and he's the ordinary old man who's like, Err, everybody. Uh, non plus okay, is, sure. uh, um, uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. <sighs> uh, well, I think ordinary is what a good word, though. but not, well, not think, a word think, that people use. Yeah. Yeah. The, the reason I ask is because I think non plus is. make me look like a fucking idiot. That's why you ask. No, no, no. <laughs> No, no, no. It's because it's because I think nonplus is like one of those like it's like literally it's becoming like literally it's surprised and confused. Yeah, yeah, I mean it's confused, unsure how to react. Right. No, that's right. Something that was pointed out in Shane Black's Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. A lot of people use nonplus like unfazed. You know, like I was nonplussed by Jeff's usage of the word nonplus. You know, like Jeff used it correctly. Jeff used it correctly. Yeah, yeah. Jeff used it correctly. That's great. I was using it as a teaching opportunity. You're just checking. Assumed. Actually, assumed you knew what it meant. Yeah. And you were going to define well, it for the audience. I was completely uh, certain that I just fucked up. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> by the way, by the way, you were <laughs> gleefully putting me on the no, spot. No, I was, I was, I honestly was like, Jeff's going to know this. We're going to use this as a moment to <laughs> instruct the audience. But instead, you were quite nonplussed by what I said. Yeah. So mm. sorry yeah. about that. Well, anyway. I, I mean, but, but what I, I, my 
what I meant to say about Bob Balaban is that he is, uh, situations overwhelm him in the show and he's just a small little man who sits there and uh you know can't handle it uh and and it's so hilarious like he'll be in a in a conversation with it doesn't matter anyway the point i was trying to make <laughs> is that jay duplass is the character that he he plays in the show is uh it's the kind of character that the, to illustrate how the character works, they show him late for things and stealing mm-hmm. children's uh, bicycles to get to work. Right. So it's, it's like over and over we're seeing him uh, find some weird way to get to work because he's late. Like he, we, I mean, we introduced to him as his daughter is saying, please, please don't screw up anymore like get your life together yeah that that is our introduction yeah it just feels like such a tired trope Mm -hmm. uh that i i would every time and you're totally right devendra we spend like an inordinate amount of time dealing with this character and i'm like why does anyone give a shit about this guy he's a love interest i don't i know well and and we and the machine gets to that real fast like there's no there's no slow burn there's no will they or won't they Uh it's literally like episode two we're here Yep. Um, and, yep. uh, I don't know. The, I, the, let me just so say much- the, the one thing, Jeff, the one thing that really irked me, um, <laughs> Daniel day Kim does not appear in the show, but he is in a photo in the show <laughs> yeah. as a former love interest of Sandra yeah. O's character. Right. And like anybody I, would go to yeah. J Duplass after <laughs> Daniel Yeah. <laughs> That's your no, choice. No offense, to, no offense to J Duplass, but yeah. Yeah, uh, or certainly yeah. like Dave Duplass playing this character. I just found that kind of hilarious. But yeah, if, if he was just a guy, if he was just a bumbling guy and everybody called him out on his shit and like that was it and not like a major secondary character and not the love interest and whatnot, yeah, no, like, I mean, I, I feel like, like it would have been better. Yeah. The, right. The character, I think the character is an interesting facet of the school dynamic to have this sort of, um, you know, the, the, mm-hmm. this sort of underachieving uh, professor that's sort of phoning it in all the time. That's an interesting, if he had had about as much screen time as Bob right. Balaban, right? You right. know, but he's like, seriously, every moment of this show is obsessed with this character. And I'm just like, I, I have, I'm much more interested in all, literally every other character in the show. Is it, yep. is it possible the show is trying to make some kind of meta commentary about like, I don't know uh, media's obsession with like white men or for past obsession with white men and and how I mean I what... think you have to do a lot of the heavy lifting in order to get mm-hmm. to get there <laughs> uh huh uh-huh. uh, I mean it's certainly a reading perhaps right. but right like uh, it, like if you think this is frustrating imagine living it <laughs> if you think right. watching this guy is frustrating yeah. imagine having him in your life no I th- I think the show <laughs> thinks that we mm-hmm. really want those two to get together and yes. it's just yes. I, I hate that when that like I watched another movie recently that did the same thing which is um I care a lot on Netflix the uh Rosemond Pike mm-hmm. movie right yep uh which is a movie where the character is just completely hateful like plays a terrible terrible person and I think like ultimately the movie wants you to in some ways root for her and uh, it's just it's challenging when the show runners or the movie or the director's intentions are like at odds with what the audience actually feels. Right. So yeah. um, in any case, also yeah. um, uh, m- one of my uh, my old college uh, acting buddies is in this show, which I was pleased to see. But um, yeah, it, I, I I didn't 
end up caring caring for the show uh, overall. Uh, I'm glad that you got something more out of it, Devendra. But I, I there 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 are things there, to like. I love the premise here. I yeah. love the setting. I think it's interesting to set a show in academia. I, I just felt like it it turned into this kind of weird, goofy, uh, <laughs> sitcom thing with these two characters that I just I. I I wish it had loftier expectations of itself mm-hmm. as a show. You know? Yep. All right. Uh, well, I will still plan to check it out because of the this, this subject matter and because Davinder is obviously Sandra recommending o. it to Sandra me. Sandra O. But yeah. And Sandra O. If she's in something so. you watch. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's the chair. It's streaming right now on Netflix. Hey, everyone. I just want to tell you about our sponsor, Manly Bands. I think for a lot of people, uh, they spend a lot of time thinking about their perfect wedding ring, the perfect cut and clarity and carrot and whatever. And then there are people like me who just really want something simple and they want a simpler way to find a ring. I remember being just overwhelmed with the choices and the prices and just all the things you had to choose from when going to jewelry shops when I was getting married. Manly Bands is trying to do that a bit differently by letting you choose a ring that looks exactly how you want in all sorts of different materials that even include some from space. I ended up choosing the record producer, which is made out of black-plated tungsten, and yeah, it has this shiny black uh, exterior, but on the inside, it's kind of yellowish and goldish looking. Uh, It's just a really cool style. Manly Bands makes it easy to figure out your ring size. You just have to start by ordering the Manly Ring Sizer, and it'll help you make sure you get the perfect fit. Once you've got that, it's time to get to the fun part, and you can choose from a variety of materials, including gold, wood, antler, steel, dinosaur bone, and uh, meteorites, uh, the ones that killed them, maybe. You could also choose from Manly Band's curated collections, like the Jack Daniels Whiskey Barrel Collection. I already have a wedding band, but I, for the longest time, wanted something that is maybe a little less costly and something I can use uh, doing all sorts of different activities. So I'm going to be getting a silicone one eventually, too. And this one just looks really cool. It's a nice way to change up the current color of my current band. Once you've selected your band, Manly Bands offers free shipping worldwide, a 30-day exchange policy, and a free warranty. At the end of the day, you'll have a ring that reflects you, no matter what happens to your marriage. To order your Manly Band and get 21% off, plus a free silicone ring, go to manlybands.com slash filmcast. That's manlybands.com slash filmcast. That's the character slash for 21% off. Manly Bands, the best damn rings, period. Jeff Kanata, what have you been watching? Well, I found it, you guys. <laughs> I found it. Uh-huh. Okay. okay. Uh-huh. After a long, exhaustive search, you could say uh, I had a group of people with me, uh, a veritable search party. Mm. I have found the successor to Search Party, the, uh, the, the show that if you love Search Party, like we all do, you should definitely watch. People have asked me many times on Twitter, okay, I watched Search Party because you guys talked about it. What next? Well, I finally found that show, <laughs> I believe. And it is Only Murders in the Building, which is on Hulu. Yep, yep. This is a show that I knew I wanted to watch because I adore Steve Martin and Martin Short. I just, I think they're great. But I, even as I was eager to check it out, I sort of in the back of my head had my doubts as to whether I would actually love it. I thought it would kind of feel a little old fashioned, perhaps uh, be the kind of show that we don't make anymore. You know, that kind of like 
uh, more broad and goofy, but I thought I would still have some fun because those two actors are so charming and I've, you know, Mm -hmm. I spent my entire life watching them. Uh, I thought I would enjoy it, but I I ultimately thought the show itself was going to probably feel a little disposable. I could not have been more wrong. I think Only Murders in the Building is... Now, I'm, I've only three episodes in. A new episode drops tomorrow. They've only released two episodes or three episodes so N- nothing far. Nothing can go wrong with declaring this now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, As you we've know, learned with it, many it, shows it's recently. It's definitely yeah. possible that this thing will take a, a, a terrible turn, especially because it's ultimately a mystery that rests on sticking the landing, as most mysteries do. But so far, this is one of my favorite shows of the year. It is... Everything I love. I mean, it is. So the premise is three people um, that live in a building in New York City that are all in. They don't really know each other. They are all independently obsessed with. True crime podcasts. They, They dig true crime podcasts. And then all of a sudden a murder happens in their building and they find themselves wanting to make their own true crime podcast as they're trying to solve the murder. So it's a cheeky premise, you know, that I think is clever, but also (laughs) it could be a little, you know, a little uh, too much of the moment, a little too like, okay. So this is, I I was not feeling the idea of uh, Steve Martin and Martin short doing a podcast show, basically. Yeah, like, well, it's and, yeah. and Selena Gomez is the third. Uh, so they so it's and like pairing her. them she up with great. a. Yeah. She's great. She is great. Uh, it's pairing them up with you know someone younger, kind of you know, but it, it it is it's it's a Steve Martin idea. Evidently, he created it uh, with John Hoffman, and it it is everything I love about Steve Martin. It is smart interesting introspective it's got a bit of magical realism happening uh from time to time the ending of episode one is beautiful i mean exquisite the layers of the onion that are peeled back each episode are cool it's self-reflexive and meta in really interesting ways where they're trying to create this podcast episode in the structure of how true crime podcast episodes work and yet the episode itself works the way the podcast episode would work despite them. Um, I, I, I'm intrigued and totally drawn in by the mystery itself. There's a bunch of like <gasps> gasp moments. It, it's laugh out loud funny. It's got big, broad physical humor. There's a scene with Steve Martin and a frozen cat that is like hilarious just physically. Um I, I just think the world of this show, I'm so in. It is my jam, 100%. It's only murders in the building. Really glad nice. to hear it. I've heard great things about it. I'm looking forward yeah, to checking yeah. it out, Jeff. So Yeah, I think you guys will like it. I mean, it, it really, it's really way smarter than I thought it, it was going to be. Um, it, it, it's, it's beautiful. It's got a lot to say. It's, it's uh, dude, it's... It's cool. It's cool. All right. Only murders yeah. in the building on Hulu. What else have you been watching, Jeff? I also uh, checked out the uh, Bob Ross documentary, which do you recall the exact title of that, Dave? I think it's called uh, Bob Ross Happy Accidents, Betrayal and Greed. Is Thank the name you. Of the documentary. Yeah, I, I watched this as well. Yeah. Um, 
it's uh, it, it, it's interesting. I I'm uh, an, I guess I guess you could say I'm a fan of Bob Ross. From time to time, I want to relax. I'll put on a Bob Ross on YouTube. You know, I grew up familiar with Bob Ross. I think I think Bob Ross's message, his sort of cultural uh, whatever real estate that he that he holds in our you know zeitgeist i think is a beautiful thing right what he represents is a beautiful thing he is a positive force i think generally speaking um and would, this, would it shock and upset you jeff to discover that that image in popular culture was manufactured by profiteers uh, yeah. <laughs> hoping like I mean, have disgraced yeah. his legacy and hoping he, to he was actually a monster image. In real life, right? That, I mean, that's the goal of this documentary, right? Is to sort of burst that bubble. And no, he, he and to be clear, he was not a monster in real life. Like, I, I think the marketing <laughs> made it seem like, oh, we're going to reveal some hor- horrible truths about Bob Ross. That right. is not what happens in this documentary. No, but the go- it is clearly made by people with an axe to grind. And it it is completely uninterested in, I think, the most interesting parts of the Bob Ross phenomenon, right? There is stuff that ha- that is revealed in the documentary, I think, that is interesting. Like the sort of step-by-step of what happened in his career and who he was before and, and how he got into painting and sort of the machinations of becoming a household name is interesting because I didn't know any of it. But ultimately, I think it misses the point entirely and becomes this attempt to sort of, uh, you know, as you say, demystify this, this thing when it it just seems like what's, what I want to know is how he came to his, his mannerisms, how he, like what kind of person does this and, and becomes like telling me that his hair wasn't always this way is not a fucking bombshell. You know, yeah, I know his hair is very iconic, but just show me pictures that he's got, he used to have different hair and the hair was a perm. You know, it's, it's not a, it's just, I don't know. I, I, I am uh, like, I'm, I am stunned at, at what you're saying right now. Like I, I thought the documentary was extremely valuable because basically what, one of the things the documentary is trying to reveal is you're right. It is not interested in how Bob Ross became Bob Ross. That's it, not. It has some of that information, but that's not what it is about. It is about the uh, the business of Bob Ross more than it is about right. Bob Ross. And it's about the fact that um, basically the people that ran the business of Bob Ross were not Bob, was not Bob Ross himself. It was right. this other group of people. Right. Uh, and those people have essentially, according to the documentary, done a huge variety of things against Bob Ross's wishes. Um, but as an example, Bob Ross's son has benefited not financially at all from all the millions and millions of dollars of stuff that is sold in, with Bob Ross's image on it. The, you know, Bob Ross paints, the Chia Bob Ross, where you can grow his hair out, you know, like all that stuff. Like his his family has been completely cut, cut off from it. Um, and it has led to people saying like, we should boycott Bob Ross products as a result. Um, and I fully support that effort. I think this is like terrible what's been done to him. So I, sure, I don't think it's about any all... of that stuff that you were talking about. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Well, yeah. I mean, I, that's 
my point is that it wasn't the show that wasn't the documentary I was hoping it would be, you know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't an interesting look behind the curtain of this person. It was this whole other thing entirely. Yeah. And I think that's totally it, fair. It clearly yeah. had an ax to grind. Like, I mean, the, the, it, it makes such a big deal about all the people that refuse to participate in the documentary and I get it. Right. Cause it, you know, it's kind of a takedown of, and, and probably for good reason, but it just, it doesn't feel to me like an interesting look at, as somebody who's excited to watch a documentary about, about Bob Ross, it didn't deliver for me. Yeah, that's, just, that's totally fair. I think though the thing you're looking for does exist, though, Jeff. I mean, I think there have oh, been perhaps. there have been I other documentaries it. made about Bob Ross that like go into that. This is definitely not that, though. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's definitely about the business of Bob Ross. And uh, so you the, liked it. I don't. I, I liked it because it basically made me understand a lot about what's happened in the in to the Bob Ross business in the wake of his death. As an example, one of the things that the documentary points out is that. When Bob Ross passed away, the estate or the business, whatever you want to call it, uh, took great pains to conceal his death from the public. And uh, that resonates with me because I'm like, for a while, I was like, yeah, is Bob Ross still alive even? Like it was, it's not clear to me as a consumer, like whether he's alive. And I think they purposely try to make that unclear because they're trying to sell a bunch of product in his yeah. name, right? And so I'm like, oh, when I saw that, I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Um, but I think it's terrible what's been done to him. And I think you people should watch this and decide for themselves. And I think it's valuable if it, it is journalistic, journalistically valuable to have something like this exist. The one thing that's weird about the documentary is, as you indicated, it doesn't have the participation of the people that it's taking down. So right. it is ultimately going to be an incomplete picture of what's happening. Um, it doesn't even have a comment from them or a statement from them as far as right. I recall. So like, it's just like, it, it's an interesting documentary exercise because it's a takedown of these people, but it has no, the people have basically zero presence in the documentary at all. The people it's taking down have zero presence. Yeah, it just, feels, yeah. like I said, it feels like people with an ax to grind. It, it's like, it's, well, it I, is, I don't get it. I don't get that. I don't understand that formulation. Like if people had done some grave injustice and somebody was trying to document it, you'd say the documentary has like an act. Like if somebody had ripped me off and Jeff was like, Jeff Kanata was like, I'm going to, I'm going to stop these people from like, these people disgrace Dave Chen's name and D- Jeff Kanata is going to stop it. You would, you would be comfortable with people describing you as having an ax to grind. Like I, in my opinion, they're just actually documenting what has happened. Um, now, I mean, obvi- I that's obviously fair. they have an opinion, they have a bias. I, I get that. I, I, right. I'm aware of that, but d- describing it as an ax to grind almost like kind of makes it seem like their, ob- their sole objective is to do a hit job versus like reveal to the public meaningful information about the stuff that they're spending money on. Right. Like I, I so I, I don't get, are you, are you saying ax to grind as like a pejorative? Cause it sounds like it. Well, it just felt like. I mean, I guess, I guess my expectation of what I was getting myself into was not fair, right? I, I wanted, I, <laughs> we just go down this pathway and it just feels like this. Yes, it was interesting. Yes, I felt um, there had been an injustice. I did not feel that. It, it's not that I'm like, oh, they had an extra gun. It's not fair to the people that, but it just felt like, a, as you indicated, a very one-sided tale that was, attempting to do one very specific thing that 
didn't present an interest. It didn't present the picture of Bob Ross that was interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I just mm-hmm. felt like I, it, as I was going through it, I was like, oh man, this, this isn't, this isn't satisfying to me as, mm-hmm. as somebody yeah. who went in hoping to get more information about this guy's life. It, it, anyway, I, but I totally understand what you're saying. I think you're right that as informationally about, you know, sort of this, the people that are behind the machine that is him, uh, it's cer- certainly I came away knowing more than I did when I went in. I just wish it had been a more complete picture of the phenomenon of, of what, what went into it and how it became. And I don't know, I guess it's just a different movie that I wanted. And if you say that movie exists, I'll seek it out. I think there's a documentary called Bob Ross, the happy painter that might be more, um, more in line with what you're looking for. But I, I think it's valuable. And basically short version of the story. Don't buy any Bob Ross stuff. (laughs) That's kind of ultimately where (laughs) it ends up. But the documentary name that we've been discussing is, uh, happy accidents, betrayal and greed. Uh, and it's on Netflix. Uh, sorry you didn't like it, Jeff. Um, I thought it was valuable, but also probably if you read a few articles on it, you could you get the same gist. You know what I mean? So yeah. Uh, so I I, t- I kind of get what you're saying there as well. So anyway, those are the things we've been watching over the course of the last couple of weeks. Let's get to weekly plugs. Weekly plugs the part of the show each week where we plug something that we have created or that something uh, someone else has created that we're kind of into. Uh, let's go real fast this week. I had a chance to do a little video review of Shang-Chi. Um, so if you want to see me talking about Shang-Chi in addition to hearing me talk about it in the next 40 minutes or so, uh, you can check that out on my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Dave Chensky. That's Dave Chen, S-K-Y. Divin your heart or what's your weekly plug? Oh, I reviewed the game, the Annapurna Interactive game, 12 Minutes over in Gadget. And uh, this is a game I've been looking forward to for years. Years, guys. I think the first preview coverage of this game came out in 2015. And the game was just released, I believe, uh, when last month, late August. Um, I enjoyed the first few hours, but I found the final bits of this game, especially the twists and where it goes, absolutely infuriating. It's so bad it kind of kills the whole game for me. So check out my review. It's spoiler free. And I think it is worth playing like maybe an hour or two of that game. It's on Game Pass. Uh, but man, I, I have not seen a game kind of whiff the ball so hard recently. You know what so, this reminded yeah. me of? 12 minutes, this game. Um, yeah. Serenity, the Matthew McConaughey uh, sure. movie. <laughs> in, in, in the sense that it has a twist that is so outlandish that it, it really... You know, but but that that made the movie for some people, right? People well, were watching Serenity because of how crazy it got. I, I mean, I think yeah. that some people will quote unquote enjoy Twelve Minutes because of how ridiculous and out there the <laughs> twist is. So, uh, or twists, we should say multiple. But yeah, anyway, yeah. Suffice yeah. to say, uh, check out Devendra's review of Twelve Minutes. I thought the game was really ridiculous and not and not very fun, but it's also yeah. I mean, people are you know. Serenity is memorable, <laughs> and exactly. I think this this twelve minutes will be memorable as well. It's certainly trying something. Yeah, trying it's for trying something. something. It's trying something. Yep. Jeff Kanata, uh, your weekly plug. <laughs> um, my live play Dungeons and Dragons show, The Dungeon Run, returns this week. We took last week off uh, to honor a day uh, off of Twitch, which was a, a movement trying to uh, send a message to the platform to um, 
get their act together and try to stop some of the the, the hate that's happening. Um, Great. Anyway, Great. we are back this week, and uh, the the story is is pretty exciting. One of our characters did something really crazy a couple of weeks ago. You can jump in at any point on the dungeon run and see the story of the heroes of Bingle. Uh, it's I think a a really fun adventure tale. It's on Wednesdays at 6 p.m. Pacific time on twitch.tv slash the dungeon run. You can also catch it on YouTube or as an audio podcast by searching for the dungeon run at those locations too. Those are our weekly plugs. Hello friends. Let me jump in here and tell you about our sponsor headspace. My life is very stressful. Uh, I, I've tried to de-stress, but it is stressful and guided meditation. Mindfulness has turned out to be a way to help me deal with that. And there is actually a pocket-sized guide that can help you sleep or focus or, or be better, be less stressed out. And it, 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 it really only takes about 10 minutes a day. It's called the Headspace. I've been using it. It's basically your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in this easy-to-use app. And it's one of the only meditation apps advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So, whatever the situation, Headspace really can help you feel better. If you're overwhelmed, like I am, Headspace has a three-minute SOS meditation for you. If you need some help falling asleep, Headspace has wind-down sessions their members swear by. I don't need those. I fall right to sleep because I'm exhausted, but I know that can be helpful. And for parents like me, Headspace even has morning meditations that you can do with your kids. I haven't tried those yet, but I am very interested in doing that. Headspace is backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews, and over 60 million downloads. Headspace makes it easy for you to build a life-changing meditation practice with mindfulness that works for you on your schedule, anytime, anywhere. Don't be like me who put this off way too long and came up with excuses not to do it. You deserve to feel happier and Headspace is meditation made simple. Go to headspace.com slash filmcast. That's headspace.com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash filmcast. Let's get to our review of Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Throughout my life, the Ten Rings gave our family power. If you want them to be yours one day, you have to show me you are strong enough to carry them. You are a product of all who came before you. The legacy of your family. You are your mother. And whether you like it or not, you are also your father. I told my men they wouldn't be able to kill you if they tried. That was from the trailer for Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, directed by Destin Daniel Cretton. Here's a plot summary from IMDb. Shang-Chi, the master of unarmed weaponry-based kung fu, is forced to confront his past after being drawn into the Ten Rings organization. 
That's uh, he's master of that. Okay, I guess. Yeah. Uh, all right. Devinder Hardware. You know, this is the thing. This is interesting, Devinder. Uh-huh. So, I had a chance to watch Shang Chi at a press screening uh, that was like fairly lightly attended, and where you know most people were vaccinated, and so like I felt felt good about seeing it. But like, mm-hmm. it, it, as we discussed earlier in the podcast, probably going to be rare for me to go back into theaters again the rest of the year. But as I was watching Shang Chi in the theater, I I honestly had this thought come to, into my head, uh-huh. uh, particularly in the first ten minutes of the movie. This is everything that me and Devendra have been have been yes. like anticipating yes. since we first started discussing movies, you know, uh, twenty years ago. Now, absolutely. What did you? So, did you agree with that? And if so, overall, what do you think of Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings? Honestly, as I was watching it, I was also thinking, like, man, Dave, Dave is going to love this. And I kind of <laughs> wish we were watching this side by side. Mm, um, yeah. I love this movie. This movie rules, and. It it just does so many things. I I wasn't super excited for it, by the way. Like I'm just gonna say, I had my expectations low because I've learned from uh, from the MCU. Sometimes it sometimes it works well, and sometimes they break your heart, you know. And well, let, let's also so give a little bit. Yeah. If I may give a little bit of context here, okay, sure. For Shang, so Shang Chi. My understanding of Shang Chi is that this is not like one of the like hottest characters in the MCU. Jeff Kanata, is that? Is that accurate based on your... Like, this is not like, oh my gosh, <laughs> yes. everyone's like waiting. When are they going to do the Shang-Chi movie? Like, no one was thinking that is my Exactly. Opinion, right? Well, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's accurate. <laughs> and, yes. and, and, and not only that, but like, I think that Marvel's history with racist imagery yep. has been mixed. So uh, they have attempted to address racist imagery in their movies in a number of ways. I'll give a couple of examples, right? So for Doctor Strange, you had the character of the Ancient One who is this racist stereotype. And they decided to like, let's cast Tilda Swinton and make right, her this right. otherworldly, like kind of ethereal being. And like, let's, let's get around it that way. Um, for uh, Iron Man three, you have the Mandarin also a racist caricature. Mm-hmm. And they're like, okay, we're going to have Ben Kingsley play the Mandarin. And, but he's not even really the bad guy in Iron yep. Man three. Yep. Right. Just he's going to be the figurehead. Yeah. It's going to be another evil white dude. That's the bad guy in Iron Man three. So it, it's kind of a way for them to get around it. Uh, ben Kingsley is uh, half Indian and um, mm-hmm. half British, uh, but yeah, th- this is—he's not even the villain, basically, and he—he he certainly doesn't play the Mandarin as the character in the comics is depicted, as far as like. Yep. Yep. So then you have Shang Chi, and in the comic books, his father was the ca- the actual character Fu Manchu, who yep. is a very racist uh stereotype like a basically the mandarin of, too right like he had yeah kind of kind of a yeah. stereotype but i would I, I think um he was a Fu Manchu, Fu Manchu, yeah. Fu Manchu yeah. like originated in like the early 1900s yep. um and Man. so it's like hmm how are they gonna address this one and the way they did it is they basically uh-huh. handed over the entire movie to a team of uh asian americans uh both in terms of the cast and the people behind it and also cast a bunch of uh hong kong actors as well mm-hmm. And that that is their approach. This is kind of the fullest realization of okay, we tried kind of downplaying it in other ways. Can we act like by yeah. turning it over to an Asian American creative team? Can we actually deliver something that that does honor to these people's roots versus just papering over it? But let's also um, not so forget yeah. the, uh, the 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 first Marvel martial arts character we saw, Mister Danny Strong. On um, what was the, what's the name of that show? Iron Fist. Iron Fist. Iron uh, Fist. Yeah, Mr. I mean, you're right. Have you, have I, you seen any of that? Dave? It's it's so bad. It, it's, it's so, so bad. bad. Jeff, have you seen have you seen Iron Fist? 
Not not a single episode. It of is it, no. awful. <laughs> and actually, I would strongly recommend the Honest Trailers. Yes. I did a episode on Iron Fist that is a brutal takedown of Iron Fist that is is so richly deserved. But yeah, I mean, I didn't even mention that because it's so terrible. It, it's just. But it is, it is within honestly. this. It's well, it's not in the MCU because right. of the way the the TV shit works. But yeah. it is, it is within Marvel's wheelhouse, right? Yes. This is yes. something they've done and something I'm taking into going to see this movie. Yes. And so we carry I, all the. We, yes. These are the things yes. we carry into watching Shang Chi and the Legend. And of this Marvel's, is the problem right? with being the first of something, right? Being the first and Marvel movie, you know, with a, a Asian lead character and mostly Asian characters, like it. There's a lot resting on it and i just have to say this movie blew me away mainly because uh first of all mostly 80 percent, 90 percent, because <laughs> tony leung is incredible this guy i we, we've been watching him movies forever um i feel like hard-boiled is the one that for first like made an influence on me in the in the 90s um this guy acts with his eyes and acts with his eyes in such a way where, like, no matter what he's saying, no matter what he's talking about, he is selling it. So for me, Tony Lung automatically elevates this movie like several great points because, and they give him a character that I think is really interesting, right? He is he is Wen Wu. He is uh, ostensibly the villain of this movie, but a villain with like I think in his own mind, noble goals. He is a guy trying to get his family together. Simo Liu is Shang Chi, you know, the son that ran away from him. Um, Tony Long just makes this movie for me. And then you've got Tony Long and you've got the best fight choreography of the entire MCU. This movie just goes for it. Um, there's an opening scene um, where this Tony is in the Lung, trailers. There's a scene yeah, on yeah. a city bus that's in the, that yes. was in the trailers. Not, and not in the trailers. Not, I was I, before before the city bus, Dave. Before we get to the city bus, this movie opens. Oh, yeah, yeah. With a yeah. prologue starring, uh, I think they even, did they try to make him look young or is it just Tony Lung just being like <laughs> immortal? Um, yeah. But it is, it is Tony Lung's character as like a warlord entering this fantasy forest and just having a full on wuxia fight. And the movie just it, does it. Just like it, it was a combination the, of wuxia oh, and like a modern superhero movie, basically. Yes. And I was like, yes. I have never seen anything like this before because I, i've never beautiful. seen these styles combined in a movie before mm -hmm. yeah it is so, so yeah i was like oh man you're you so you're you're not running away from being like a crouching tiger type yes like, you're you running towards it <laughs> into it and i'm like yes yeah. and the on the on shots treetops if you will yeah. running toward <laughs> it on well they're tiny certainly little branches yeah they're certainly indeed. surrounded by trees but i love that even in that first scene it's like oh they're they're the shots are just open they're, they're just letting the shots sit <laughs> it's shooting wide so I can see people moving. And I know it's actually Tony Young doing most of this. Um, it it just was beautiful and romantic in a way too. And to set up, he sells, he sells this character, this character who has existed for a thousand years and has basically been a brutal warlord and all of a sudden finds love. And that, that is essentially like what builds to this movie. Um, Tony Young just kind of sells it all for me so the combat was good the choreography not only are the, is the choreography great but like the set pieces the bus you're talking about fantastic there there's a thing on scaffolding that reminds me of like how crazy inventive like choi harks films could get at times yeah. like there's uh, a lot bus, of like buster time and time buster yep. keaton a very big inspiration yeah the action is good but also like this movie is well written in a way where like i really felt for this family i i'll say this i did not care as much about shang chi Right, Simulu 
great in the action bits, great in the comedy bits, like knowing him from, uh, what's the show? Kim's convenience, right? Like he, he gets comedy timing down. You cannot put this guy next to Tony Leon, right? Because then it's like, okay, you're, you're not emoting. I think like uh, at times where you need to show emotion or something major is happening with his character. Uh, I don't think you could really see it in his face, but Hey, I-, I love him for what he's doing here. Um, but Timu really brings the action. Aquafina brings the comedy. Um, I do feel like she is reaching the tipping point where it's like, we may be Aquafina out, you know, cause she's, she's doing in pretty much all these movies we've seen her in recently. Um, she's just kind of doing her thing. Yeah, I wonder if that, that may be getting a little old, but it's fine. I love these characters. Um, and you know, I love everything. Like I love the family story going on here where you kind of want this all to work out, even though Tony Leung's character is a brutal warlord, you kind of want happiness <laughs> for this family. This movie sells all of it. And I just love that. And sure it ends in like a big CG fest, but I also think like the designs of like where we go, and we'll talk about that in spoiler, but, it's not just like blue lights. It's not just blue lasers. Like there's some cool design work. Uh, this movie after a point, like starts to evoke, like almost like Kaiju things, but yeah, we'll talk about that in spoilers. I came away loving this movie. I cannot wait to own this movie and rewatch it over and over again, mainly for the fights, but also to look into Tony Young's eyes again. Jeff Kanata, your thoughts on Shang-Chi? Well, Dave, I guess you could say my thoughts on Shang-Chi are best summed up in the form of a limerick. A great new character debut and a star turn for Simo Liu. Charm on the screen combined with fight scenes that are the best in the MCU. Nice. Just a solid nice. worksman-like nice. <laughs> uh, limerick there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I agree with everything you guys have said. This is one of the best origin story MCU movies that they've made. It is wildly entertaining. Uh, it has everything that you expect from a great Marvel movie, um, which is universe building, mm-hmm. great action, genuinely funny comic relief moments that don't feel uh, shoehorned in. They feel organic and natural, a pace that works really, really well. It's, Fantastic. It's like this Marvel machine, you know, say what you will about how dominant and ubiquitous (laughs) these movies are. They seem to just constantly hit home runs. And at least for my money, I think like this home run feels different, which is why I'm so impressed. Right. Like I, I come away from a lot of the Marvel movies feeling like, yeah, I've seen, I've seen a lot of this before. Right. And I think in the most recent phases, like, yeah, they've started being more and more inventive, but now it feels like, okay, we're just, we're going to do things, right? It took 25 movies, but now you have an Asian-led MCU movie. And how does that feel different? This does not feel like it was made from the same template that like, you know, Iron Man 2 and some even some of the others like were stamped out. Well, I mean, it's yeah. similar I would, to Black Panther. I, yeah, I would yeah, say yeah. it's <laughs> very similar to Black Panther in terms of like introducing us to a character, but also like the world of this character that existed this whole time. You know, it mm-hmm. was... It it wasn't like we're creating a whole new world from this whole thing. All this this stuff was going on at the same time as all the other movies, basically, right? Yeah. And uh, I, I would so say I, even different though, right? Like Black Panther was okay. There's a secret society. It's been around for a while. The, you know, this king has superpowers. 
This one is, this guy has lived for 1,000 years. <laughs> he has a force of assassins that cover the entire globe. Like, it, it just feels like a next level scale. But yeah, you can make the comparison. Yeah, yeah, I think it's, I think it's pretty similar. But yeah, anyway, uh, go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's, um, you mentioned some of the set pieces that are great. I think for my money, I think the first half is a bit stronger than the second half. I, I thought the first half was mm-hmm. almost flawless. Yeah. It, the yeah. way the character is introduced... The fact that it almost the the template the the template that you get in most superhero movies or even just just action adventure popcorn films like this is that you have a character that slowly discovers something about himself or herself, uh, and we are along for the ride. Think Spider Man, mm-hmm. right? Spider Man gets bitten by the spider, figures out, oh my gosh, I have this incredible ability. What, what's going on with me? What I love about this movie is this dude knew the whole time and he's oh, been yeah. hiding it from <laughs> yeah. everybody. His real, yeah. his normal self is his secret identity. He's, a, he's ahead yeah. of the audience. And it, usually the audience is right there with the character. And I love how the movie plays that out. And like, he's way ahead of the audience and you have Aquafina, which is the audience surrogate uh, instead. And I just love that little twist. Um, there's, so much fun to be had one and and how it integrates itself into the broader marvel universe is fun probably the most unlikely character uh crossover character but they had to do it they had to do it, 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 it yeah brilliantly done i think brilliantly done but 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 so i just didn't see it coming at all and the way it's done is so fun and i think a, a, another example of marvel sort of playing with house money and willing to be a little irreverent and and making fun of itself a bit um it it's it's just so entertaining i love the music i thought the music top to bottom was Mm -hmm. really Mm -hmm. just spot on and perfect um it's it was an interesting experience for me watching this movie because uh sima lu looks almost exactly like a buff version of my cousin. <laughs> it's it's really uncanny. Mm-hmm. Um my cousin uh, I don't think he's ever been to the gym. Or, you know, I don't want to diss my cousin on the on the show. Wow. But uh but, you know let's just say he doesn't freak sure, out the gym. Sure, sure. Uh, but, uh average guy but yeah. if he did I think uh, pretty pretty cl- pretty similar. Uh, I think the, so, yeah. the most unbelievable part of this movie is when Aquafina uh, is like, "Does this guy look like he can fight?" Yes, he's filling <laughs> yeah, out that yeah. jacket. Yes, he <laughs> yeah. does. Yeah. So uh, I, I think uh, one question I have for you, Jeff Kanata, and like I want you to feel this is a safe space. You know, <laughs> you can answer however you wish, but I am curious, like, what you felt about the Tony Leung character because. For me and Devendra, this guy is like god tier. Like, yeah. and this mm-hmm. is one of the problems. I agree with Devendra. Like, one of the problems is like Simulu does great. He is fine. He he pr- puts in a great performance. He brings a lot of physicality to this role. Tony Leung is like a legend, right? Like yeah. he is. I, I'm I'm trying to find like what a good comparison would be. You know what I mean? Like, I guess it would be like I don't know. Like it's like classic Hollywood. He's like Clark Gable meets like Clint sure, Eastwood yeah, at times. Gable, like, or he, like he's modern just, like, day, everything. I would say like modern I don't know day. like. Will Smith, Tom Cruise, you know, are like sure. the closest all, I can all come up one. with. There's a right? point in this movie where Tony Leung looks to the side and a tear wells up, you know, as he's remembering something. He's really selling this memory. And he turns <laughs> over to the one-armed, bladed Russian bad guy who's just saying lines very terribly. And like that, 
that whiplash, I just kind of <laughs> felt it. It was it was amazing, but also, yeah, you can't put anybody up against it. So what? Yeah, what was? So that's mine and Devinger's opinion. Jeff Kanata, did you experience the same thing as somebody who may be less familiar with Tony Leung's work? Oh, I mean, I'm certainly less familiar than than you are, but I'm not unfamiliar. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, he is perfectly cast, and in, it's incredible. I, I love I loved him in the movie. I thought he was great. I, uh, you know, you guys mentioned the the fight scenes. I think the his opening prologue fight scene is an example mm-hmm. of how action sequences in movies w- when they are at their best in the sense that some action films you will have story 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 and then we're going to take a second and stop the story and start an action sequence and that will be this this you know set piece that gives you your action fun moments and maybe is even spectacular and maybe you even love it but it's a break from the storytelling. Yes, yes. And in this film, the action set pieces, for the most part, are the storytelling. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. that early prologue sequence is it's a dance sequence it's in a, a musical. It's a it's a courtship. Yes. Yeah. It is it is telling the story of this relationship through a fight scene. And there are other moments. I mean, I think the bus sequence is telling you the story of shang chi Mm -hmm. in in its own way too it's it it, it's It's your first time seeing who he is right and that's right yeah yeah Yeah. and and so i bring that up to say that tony leung who sort of sets the tone for the entire film because he's the first thing you see and that sequence is the first thing you see well also you you see the sequence before that by the way is him like just walking into battlefield (sighs) All by himself, right, and they do right. this like um, it's it's de- definitely not like a real like lo- long take or one take, but it <laughs> looks like one. And the camera follows him as he's just like whipping ass. He is he is yeah. like it's like the beginning of Lord of the Rings, except this is you know the guy you want to root for <laughs> at least you think I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I mean he he pulls that off. There's such a you you, you clearly know he is not a good guy, mm-hmm. but. It's such a wonderful tightrope that they're walking in that opening sequence where it's like you set up an, a protagonist and an antagonist and then they fall in love with each other. Like what a what a wild thing. And all with no dialogue, all with just action. It's it's an extraordinary thing and it takes an extraordinary actor to pull it off. And I think that mm-hmm. moment to to kick off this film, it's it's such a statement. And I think not anybody could do it. And Absolutely. so clearly he, you know, was the right guy to cast. Character, and it's not just him, but it's also like the action sequences are built, like you're saying, to tell us more about these characters. And they do that for everybody and for every sequence. And to me, that is my favorite type of action movie, right? Character yeah. through action. Uh, this is why I still think um, like Crouching Tiger is one of the best movies ever made. You know, certainly one of my favorite. But like this movie carries that legacy so well. All right, I'll share a couple quick thoughts and then love to get into spoilers with you guys. Um, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed the movie as well and uh, agreed with everything Devinger said about Tony Leung. I mean, it just it's just tough to and you got you you put Michelle Yeoh in this movie too, and it's just yeah, like okay, yeah, well it's yeah. it's game over for I the can other only take that, so much. Yeah, yeah, game over for the people that aren't those actors because it's like those are the people I'm going to be most interested in the movie. But I really enjoyed this movie a lot and. 
you know, I, I, we talked about the things we carried with us into the theater and like worried about how Marvel would handle this. And overall, I think they did a great job. And one sign of the fact that they did a great job is the fact that I think what 10, 20% of this movie is in Mandarin Chinese. And there's more Chinese in this movie than there was in Mulan. And characters <laughs> speak Chinese in settings where it makes sense for them to speak Chinese. And just that. And I realized, like, I'm like, oh, like, I don't know that I've seen a, like, major blockbuster where there was this much Chinese in it. Like, I can't, I can't remember the last time that that happened. Um, and they, they opened with it, too. Like, it's not, they didn't, like, ease you into it. They're just like, nope, mm-hmm, this is the way it's mm-hmm. going to be. And I was just like, I Deal thought that was just yeah. bold that they, they did that. And they're, like, challenging you, like, yep, you're going to you're gonna need to read some subtitles for the first, like, 15 minutes of this movie. And I appreciated that. But, you know, what I love about this movie is they make these characters, um, you know, aspirational. Like, you, you think these characters uh, are... Many of them are total badasses, and Simu Liu is one of the rare Asian characters in general in movies to have a full life, a full personality, yes. friends, feelings, his own thoughts. You know, like he can uh, screw up, these, yeah, yeah, he, and, and make mistakes. And these are just rare things to see for uh, a, an Asian character in a movie. Uh, I, I, I know you guys that we've reviewed. Yes, go ahead. Sorry, I, I know you guys were you know kept saying that he's sort of in the shadow of Tony Leung th- throughout, but I thought he was great. I, Simo Liu, I agree. He did a solid job. No, no, I, th- I, I'm not, I don't think he did bad at all. Like I think he was very good. It's just like uh, I think we're just saying Tony Leung is like really, yeah. really charismatic. He kind of shifts yeah. the scales a little. I'll say I, I, the thing the, the thing that really got me was uh, Simo Liu with Aquafina. I can't quite figure out their relationship, right? Like that's well, I think, I think that's a good thing. I, yeah. I like that about it. Yeah, yeah. But let, let's we can talk more about yeah, that. Yeah, we'll in talk spoilers, about that in spoilers. But yeah, but I, I think um, I did not I think, quite buy whatever like if they're trying to sell something with that. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I I liked uh, that these uh, the the plot line also right is about uh, trying to come to terms with your past, and I think there you know there's very resonant themes in there if you're especially if you're an asian american or if you're an immigrant and so uh i I think there's really really Mm -hmm. a lot to like here now uh and and fundamentally what the director of this movie has shown himself good at doing in the past is family drama yes uh destin daniel cretin is the director of movies such as short term 12 um just Mercy, The Glass Castle. We, we don't have to talk and, about The Glass Castle, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. and he uh, knows how to do family drama and understands that like, no matter how much CG nonsense there is on screen, mm-hmm. no matter what madness is unfolding, no matter that the stakes of the universe are at play, he knows to keep the focus on the family drama for the most part. And, and it's, it's not even like directly family. It's just like this guy gets drama. If you have not seen Short Term 12... Go watch that movie and be prepared to be destroyed. Yeah, no, everybody that definitely, in that, in definitely that watch Short Incredible. Yeah, but yeah, the the emotional connections between the characters in mm-hmm. this movie, and particularly the family members in this movie, I think really at the end of the day really work. Uh, and it's to the writer and director's credit that that sure. was the case. So it, it's uh, it's funny now, how like Tony Young's character when we was basically the ultimate immigrant dad. Right, <laughs> I did all this for you, mm. 
and you can't yeah you you can't even quite live up to my legacy yeah yeah um (laughs) i think that the only thing i would say against this movie and we'll get more into this momentarily is just there is a lot of cg in this movie Mm -hmm. and not all of it is great um and some of it is actually bad uh but it's the reason there's a lot of cg is because this movie is really going for it Yes. It's really swinging for the fences. It's really saying, we're going to do this thing, and you just have to be along for the ride, and we'll get more into detail momentarily. But overall, I really liked it. I thought they did a great great job. I'm relieved that they did a great job. I'm relieved that the movie performed well. Uh, And so, yeah, those are our initial thoughts on Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings. Okay, before I get to spoilers, there is one thing I want to say, which is... uh, I want to make a correction to something we said earlier on in the podcast, and there is no other place to put this, but I'm going to put it here. Uh, so hopefully nobody writes in with this um, because we are correcting it now, which is that thanks to uh, people in the chat room for pointing out that, in fact, uh, because of Shang-Chi's performance, we assume, uh, they have pushed up the release date for Venom, uh, the Carnage movie. Oh, uh, yeah. To yeah, October yeah. 1st. Yep. So Venom got moved to October 1st. Thanks to Jeff McLaughlin for pointing that out for us and hopefully saving us a few tweets and emails. Uh, but yeah, so just quick correction there. Okay, let's get to spoilers for Shang-Chi and the Legend of Ten Rings starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course... You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. All right, so really the thing that is out there is just the entire last 30 minutes, right? Sure. And Which I love. Even, even I, if some I, of it looks wonky, yeah, it's pretty out there, and um, it's also like pretty bold for them to introduce a whole world, <laughs> uh, just like in the last thirty minutes, and be like, "Here's a whole society yeah. and uh, new rules to fight and stuff like that." And yeah, we're, we're going CG. hard fantasy right now, right? You're, deal with it. They're yeah. dragons and shit. Hard yeah. fantasy dragon. But by the way, second movie in the last twelve months starring <laughs> Aquafina that features water dragons. Oh wow, yeah, um, that's true. But yeah. Uh, anyway, so. Uh, they really, really went for it, and I admire them for doing that. And um, not all of it works for me just because mm-hmm. some of the CG is wonky, but uh, there are some cool ideas, and I admire the audacity <laughs> of what they're doing. Like, uh, one thing that I thought was cool was, like, when the he puts the rings into the dragon thing at the end yep. and then, like, rips them out. That was pretty yep. cool. Yeah, The, the way they use the rings to basically fly or jump, jump real high, I'm like, yeah. That's, so rad. that's super, super rad. They're writing those... the dragons at one point, basically never-ending story style. With all that. Demon yeah. bat things yep. that can't be can't be torn apart because they just reconstitute themselves right. instantly. Right. Yeah, that's pretty I, sick. That's what I was, this is what I was worried about though. Is I, I was worried about like I thought the first 90 minutes of this movie were really strong, and I was like, okay, this is solid. The the action is amazing. Uh, and then there's this basically this thing feels kind of like a detour and I'm worried it mm-hmm. won't work for most audience or some audiences, you know, um, it's basically but, the moment that Ben Kingsley shows up. Yeah. Right. It's like from that moment on when you see uh, Morris for the first time, the movie's just like, okay, strap in. <laughs> we're, we're going there. Yeah. You know, did you guys, uh, I sent you guys the prequel to, or kind of, not, not prequel, but kind of the, the Blu-ray special feature uh for Shang-Chi I don't know if you guys had a chance to watch it but no no in mm-hmm. 2014 I think uh, attached to the Iron Man 3 Blu-ray there was a featurette called All Hail the King 
that depicted the events that Trevor discusses in these, this movie. Mm-hmm. So in, in this movie, you meet Cre- Trevor, Ben Kingsley's character, and he kind of talks about like what happened. Like he got, he went to jail, and then he got kidnapped by Tony Leung's character in this mm-hmm. movie. Uh, and there's basically a featurette from 2014 that shows that whole sequence of events. They put quite a bit of work into it too. They they called so, out like exactly it it would be Tony Leung's character. I guess they said or? it was it, it was the Mandarin was pissed the that real he was Mandarin. using his name right, right. and he, the guy Scoot McNary was from the Ten Rings. Yes. Um, yes. So it was it actually like is a fairly decent connection. Huh. Uh, it's not like they had to retcon too much, but yeah, I would check it. Out. I would recommend you check it out if you want, kind of want a little mini prequel to this movie. Mm-hmm. Watch Iron Man three or All Hail the King. They're both on Disney Plus. But anyway, I thought it was kind of interesting. And um, uh, now the, the Ben Kingsley character, I have to say, I was a little bit mixed on that character mm-hmm. um, because I just felt like you didn't need to have both the Trevor yeah. character and the Aquafina character. Like it's, it's true. Also their function it, in the plot. Like I was very fe- surprised that we, we, yeah. he stays with the team. Yes. Right. I, I thought yeah. you yeah. get him, you get his information That's and it. we move on from yeah, him. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I, I was surprised that he remains throughout the rest of the film. Maybe he was just like, Hey guys, I got, I got nothing else going on. Just can, can, can we hang out for a while? Can I, can I shoot with you for a couple yeah. months? He, it is he, wild to me that this is like Oscar winning actor, Ben Kingsley, yeah. in essentially like a, a super comic role talk, to a furry butt doll yeah that's why you gotta love the brits man you gotta gotta love the british actors they are not precious about it at all it's hilarious it's hilarious but uh yeah i felt like you you didn't even need that character like you it was kind of an unnecessary character in my Mm -hmm. opinion both both because like the function that that character serves is we got to get them to this Yes. Uh, this this town, this like city, basically that they go to, right? Uh, he's the one that knows the way, but it's like they could have easily invented another way to get them there. But he also um, isn't even the one that knows the way. He's just yeah. the one that can interpret <laughs> right. from the, the creature that knows the way. Right. So it was which, it was fun, but I, was I, like, I think huh. it was the excuse yeah. like they were like we we could just get Ben Kingsley in this movie, you know? Like we're we're just <laughs> yeah. gonna, we're gonna get Tony Lung and Ben Kingsley in our movie, and we're gonna go hard with it. So I, I yeah. guess that's it. Yeah. Yeah. But it, I, I was kind of like, huh? But anyway. Uh, mm-hmm. I just want to also give another shout out to the fighting in this movie. Uh, I so I had seen kind of clips of the fighting in in the bus online. I hadn't yeah. watched the full trailer, and I was like, okay, that looks kind of cool. I was unprepared for how yes. ambitious that sequence was. Yes, like, so badass. Yeah, it, so because it just keeps going on, and yeah. in a way that I actually was like, what? Like every every thirty seconds that scene went on, I was more and more impressed with how how that moment where he like there. leaves the bus yeah. uh, <laughs> on purpose. You yeah. know, there there's a lot of in a in a moving vehicle <laughs> mm-hmm. being forced out and your feet scraping across the ground. Like there's a lot of the, those things. I don't remember somebody like choosing to leave <laughs> in order to come back in a different way. I thought that was so cool. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, yeah. uh, we we love the fight scene so much. I do want to shout out Brad Allen. Uh, the yeah. the stunt coordinator of this film, he passed away. Was it last week? Um, it was August eighth, is what I see mm. here. And wow. he, this is one of his last films. This is a guy. He is, um, I believe, he's the a first. Legend. Yeah, he, he's a he, well, he's a legend, but also we don't. His name is not as well known as like Yuan Wu Ping and stuff. And I right. think mainly it's worth calling this out now because like he was, he became the leader of Jackie Chan's stunt team. He was the first like white dude they led on to that team. In the first place, like dude, that alone is legendary status. But the yes. stuff he's done here yes. and on Kingsman and on so many things, like pretty much if you've seen a good fight sequence in the last decade, it's all thanks to him. 
So, you know, what, what a way to like send himself off with this work. It's incredible. Yeah. Uh, very tragic that his passing, but yeah, he, he left an amazing legacy and uh, his work is evident in this movie. So uh, yeah, when you're seeing the stunts in this movie and the action, in this movie, uh, Brad Allen helped to contribute to it. The, um, uh, my favorite scene, honestly, though, was this brief sequence that takes place in the uh, building up on the it, mm-hmm. on the 30th floor. But it was after the whole scaffolding part. I thought the scaffolding was rad. The scaffolding was awesome. And with the, the, there was this one yeah. long continuous shot where he like saves Aquafina's yes. character. That was amazing. Yes. Yeah. You mean but, the, the, the fight with the lighting and the shadows. The fight with the light, it was, felt Oof. very Skyfall inspired. Oof, right? man. Like when he's fighting that dude with the mask, or I don't know if it's a man or a woman with a mask on. The, the person who uh, trained him basically too right but yeah the death dealer yeah yeah, yeah. and it's like and they're fighting that's with the like the, the neon character. in the background <sighs> i just loved that scene lasts like 30 seconds but yeah. i just like yeah. really i really just wanted to it. capture i'm glad that they they went full wide on that too and you just yes. get the whole like tableau oh man yeah yeah the moment he meets his sister in that fighting pit mm-hmm. is another example of action as storytelling exactly yes. uh which i thought was cool yeah, yeah. i love yeah. i love the actor who played her too manga she's Zan. great like she is I've never seen her in anything before. This is her has... first screen credit. Man, wow. she has seemed to be so setting her presence. up for something too with that ending. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah or yeah. the post-credit sequence. I mean, yeah. Um, but this is her first performance in a movie, and Amazing. I thought she acquitted herself quite well. Yeah, so. she's yeah. incredible. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Any other thoughts about the ending? Or uh, uh, I mean, we've talked a little bit about mm-hmm. the post-credit scenes. I I, I will say that. You know, we talked about like the CG and and there's just a lot of CG in that ending. But one of the moments of the CG that did work was when I, I think the design of the ten rings. Yep, is really cool. Like so cool. Yeah, because so you, cool. you're, you're like, okay, we got these ten rings and they're powerful, and it's like that's the brief. That's the creative brief. Is <laughs> like these ten rings are powerful. That's yeah. hard to make work. And uh, in the in, in, in the, the comics, aren't they rings actually on fingers? And I think yes. they look so much better. As like bracelets, yeah. Well, yeah. When, I think Tony Leung can really pull them off. Like yeah. he's kind of yeah. like he looks like a character. Pull up, like, you pull up the suit jacket. You pull like, up the yes. suit jacket sleeves, oh, and it's like it's like a very eighties style yeah. look that he pulls <laughs> off really, really well. Uh, and uh, and and the design of the rings and how they work, how they work when they're not being used, mm-hmm. and then how they work when they're being used. And I, I thought well, that all, also, yeah, it's ahead. also brilliant that there's no like explanation scene, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, the movie just sh- shows you them in action and you get it, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 And yeah. then, uh, and the, the, the one moment that really, really worked for me was when Shang-Chi is fighting Tony Leung's character. And then mm-hmm. like, he starts like absorbing the rings for himself. Yeah. Like, I thought that was really pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, and that, the, the way yeah. they shoot between different, fight sequences and that that style too like i think it's more like tai chi style like his mother was using against uh mm. when Wu at that point right, so it's like right. that again action through character character through action yeah 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 so uh well, speaking of explanation jeff the the one explanation we do get for the 10 rings happens in the post credits because we gotta tie this shit back to the other movies sure uh, well, in the, well, it's not tying the shit back to the other movies. It's placing this character among the pantheon of other big time Marvel Universe characters, which I think is cool. Yes, yes, sure. Well, it's uh, making it's making him, you know, an equal um, among uh, the the heavy yeah, hitters that have been established not, for it, decades. It's, it's not him being 
you know, equivalent, you know, equivalent to the Pantheon that I have a problem with, you know, or I don't even really have a problem with it. I'm not even That's complaining fine. that much. That's fine. But it's more like we have to explain where the midichlorians came from, right? It's like, I mean, if, if the movie didn't like deliver, I do think like doing that, like, okay, you're the, you're the new hero now. Like I, if it, it would have felt like the end of like amazing Spider-Man one or two, right. Where they start <laughs> setting up things that they never, never actually solve. Um, but well, yeah, but what I'm talking about is they, they basically what what it, what happens in the first like mid credit sequence is uh, you see Captain Marvel and also Bruce Banner who's still whose arm still hurts mm-hmm. from Endgame and is human now uh, yeah and he's human now yeah um, they basically are like where did you get these ten rings and it becomes clear that they're otherworldly basically mm-hmm. like they're they're not from this world they're not necessarily or this universe yeah or this universe. Oh. yeah exactly they're not who he, what what he thought they were and they're extremely extremely powerful so. That's kind of what I was talking about. I, I don't mind Shang Chi being elevated to the likes of you know Captain Marvel right, and Iron right. Man, and and uh, it's just more Bulk. like oh here's a thing we're gonna tease the next yeah. movie, and it's, it's, it's fine. the presumption well, of what you have to do at the end of every MCU movie. That's <laughs> yeah. all. Yep, yep, that's all. Well, uh, okay, uh, not everybody criticism. loves this stuff as much as you, Jeff. I get it. <laughs> well, but you leave the movie when it's over. This is after <laughs> the movie's over. Yeah, right. No, if you don't want to be, that's what those post credit sequences are for. Is to tie them into a larger tapestry it's i mean this would start if if i started getting up and to leave the movie like it it, it starts within like 15 seconds it is not that long it is meant to be i didn't i actually didn't stay for the post post credits one because i had to run back home but yeah the point is that they are a postscript that you can enjoy a a movie with a beginning a middle and an end and (laughs) You know, I, I think the criticism is getting a little out of hand where it's like, it's not a criticism, it's, just... it's like, well, no, that's what those post from the very first one. That was the whole point is that the post credit sequence was like, oh, P.S. There's a larger thing going on here. And I think, honestly, the idea that this character could could be, you know, at the heart of the this next phase or, or right. you know, the, the rings themselves play in, in a, in a grander sense is really cool and exciting. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm down to see what those rings mean and how that all works with our multiverse and, and the sort of next layer of, of larger tapestry that is being uh, woven. I think uh, the, the, this movie, let, let's talk about the, rather than disagree on any of this. And I, I think by the way, our criticism was extremely light just now, Jeff, we, we didn't like go in on it very much, but I think that this movie refreshingly had very little tie-in overall. Like, yeah, it was save, a beginning, save it for the end. end. Sure, that, yeah. yeah, it was a beginning, middle, and end that felt extremely satisfying with very little tie into the rest of the MCU. And I actually appreciated that as a feature, not a bug in this case. So it's totally fine. Um, yeah. um one thing I, I had brought up earlier, I I am not quite buying the the Katie and Sean romance. Or whatever they said that being right. like, well, I actually thought like it was they, refreshing if they were just friends. Like, just, right? But just then the friends. ending, the ending yeah. kind of made it seem like it was supposed to be a romance. Was my yeah. sense right? Yeah. Was that, was that Jeff? Was that your sense? Like they, they wanted it to be a romance by the end of the movie? I don't. I didn't. I didn't come away with that impression. I didn't think it was as clear as that. Hmm. I, I I kind of liked that. I mean, the only moment that made me think, oh, is there? Are they playing at a romance? Was the the grandmother saying, when are you going to marry sure, her? Sure. But that, that's you know, every that grandmother. Is, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, it's every grandmother, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but it's also, you put that in a movie because the grandmother was right at some point, you know? Um, but I, I I, really appreciated, like, the, hey, we're friends. We we don't have to be a romantic uh, couple 
to have a great adventure together and care about each other and for sure, all for that sure. stuff. So I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm open to wherever they want to take that relationship in future films, but I also was kind of happy that it was, there was no moment where they realized it and looked into each other's eyes and kissed. You know, I, I, I thought it was cool that it just sort of was this, this relationship that they love each other, but it can be platonic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Well, at the end of the day, it's pretty Im- freaking impressive that Dustin Daniel Cretton made a movie in this case. What a movie. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but uh, That's a great one. That's our review of Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Uh, and that's going to bring us to the end of this week's episode of The Filmcast. Stick around here. We'll be discussing next week. This episode of The Filmcast was edited by Beatty Zhang. The intro music currently comes courtesy of adamwarrock.bandcamp.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from YouTuber and filmmaker Kyle Hillinger. Our weekly plugs music comes from Noah Ross uh, with Cut Down by Thomas Medina, I think, if I recall correctly. And next week uh, on the podcast, we'll be reviewing Malignant, new James Wan movie that's going to be out on HBO Max. Oh, hell yes. Also in our After Dark, patreon.com slash film podcast, exclusive episodes of the After Dark available to $10 plus patrons. We'll be discussing The White Lotus and other things. So... Uh, that is what's in store for you next week. Thanks for listening to this week's of the, uh, this week's episode of the Filmcast. We'll see you later.